Content warning. No Gods, No Monsters contains profanity, substance use, and a strong hatred for the police. But if you say the prayer with me, you will have salvation. Piss. Piss on your prayer. I ain't saying any goddamn prayers. I never did, I never will. Fucking priest told me to say my prayers, I didn't say my fucking prayers. Cops tell me to say my prayers, I'm not saying my prayers, and I ain't saying your prayers. I didn't shit from you. I've eaten shit from City Hall. Do it! Look, I cannot do it until you say the prayer. I'm not saying shit for you. drop a cantaloupe from 40 stories no i've probably barely been up 40 stories in my life and never with a cantaloupe same i don't know shepherd made it feel like it was weird to not have done that <laughs> but maybe well i mean we didn't we didn't grow up in new york so oh that's just a normal ass new york thing <laughs> yeah i, I actually so. like looked it up on youtube and it's not very common watermelons for miles there's watermelon droppings mm. for miles i only found a video of some kids doing an experiment dropping a cantaloupe from 10 feet and it just bounced and they were like look they're kind of a dent wait is did you actually look this up yeah is <laughs> <laughs> there actually a video that you saw yeah it said rip cantaloupe it had a little <laughs> grave symbol wow you did much deeper research on this than i did <laughs> On the cantaloupe part only, and it was okay. fruitless. Oh, welcome to episode eight of No Gods, No Monsters. I'm Rabbit. This is Charlie, uh, and this is the anti-capitalist kaiju and giant monster podcast in a world where nobody's coming to save us. Today, we're talking about Q, the Winged Serpent from 1982. Charlie, what's going on with this movie? Roamers of New York City rooftops are being snatched and eaten by a winged serpent. The serpent makes her nest at the top of the Chrysler building, a nest discovered by small-time sleaze crook Jimmy Quinn while he's hiding out after a heist gone wrong. Meanwhile, Detective Shepard and Sergeant Powell, officers of the New York Pig Department, are investigating numerous cases of ritual sacrifice. Shepard discovers that these sacrifices are being done in order to summon the Aztec god of Quetzalcoatl to New York City. Jimmy extorts the city by demanding a million dollars and a Nixon-like pardon in exchange for information on the location of the winged serpent. The city agrees and dispatches a horde of cops to the Chrysler building to kill the monster. Jimmy gets tricked out of his deal. Quetzalcoatl and her unhatched baby are murdered after going on a cop-eating rampage. And the summoner of the god is shot while he attempts to sacrifice Jimmy. The end. Directed, written, and produced by Larry Cohen. With David Carradine as Detective Shepard declaring, If I can kill it, it's not a god. It's a good old-fashioned monster. Richard Roundtree as Sergeant Powell. Candy Clark as Joan. And Michael Moriarty in a powerhouse role of manic sleaziness as Jimmy Quinn, mocking a cop by telling him, I am pissing all over you and there's nothing you can do about it. And Quetzalcoatl herself as Q, the winged serpent. Where we go one, we go all. Had to bring QAnon in right off the bat. I love it. 
Man, a lot of cops die in this movie. I mean, not a lot, but it, the cop deaths are great. Yeah. That's my opening general thoughts and feelings. <laughs> 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 I'm just kidding. Uh, would you? Would you? What do you generally think about this movie? This is uh, our second random kaiju one. You picked this one again because I was too uh, indecisive. So uh, I'm assuming this holds a place in your heart for reasons. Right. So... Um... Yeah, I've I've seen this uh, a couple times before. It's been a while since I've last seen it. I'm a I I really like this movie and I'm a big fan of the director Larry Cohen. So this was a movie I was excited to do. Uh, was almost my first pick, but since we were just starting out, I figured I should wait a little bit. But then I couldn't wait anymore. I just wanted to to do this because this movie rules. Totally. I mean, I could see why. I mean, you like Larry Cohen in general. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm, I've been a fan of his for a while. Actually, I, I say in preparation for this episode, I also watched, well, I watched this with his commentary. I watched the documentary on him called King Cohen. I listened to two podcast interviews, one with the now defunct podcast Shockwaves and one with uh, on Gilbert Gottfried's podcast, uh the amazing colossal you'll figure it out it's those words are in it it's a weird (laughs) title (laughs) totally so i and i watched three of his other movies the ambulance black caesar and the stuff so i'm i'm all in on larry cohen right now let's let's do this baby hell yeah um yeah i thought this movie was great it made me very uncomfortable the first time because uh Quinn is just like to me that's the horror element it's just trying to per- act like imagine sitting in a room with this guy who like <laughs> can't sit still can't ever explain himself in a coherent way thinks he's getting one over on everybody but is clearly lying and it's totally transparent like it just makes my like skin crawl um but I think the movie is great and I definitely felt like it was just kind of a fun goofy weird movie my first time And then after the second time when I was compiling my notes, I feel like I had all these like aha moments of things that I feel like were really well thought out. And like, like all these parallels and mirrors between different things in the, in the movie. And maybe I'm imagining some of them, maybe some of them are there, but it got me really pumped to talk about this. So I am stoked. Good pick. That's awesome. Um, yeah, Larry Cohen, he does like to put in some, uh, some social commentary and some satire and stuff. So there is some of that is intentional, but also a lot of this is uh, improvised and he really comes up with a lot of stuff on the spot. Um, So, but I mean, you can still come up with that stuff right on the spot. He's yeah. I think uh, most of this stuff I'm thinking of probably wasn't improvised, but we'll get to it when we get to it. I'm stoked. I I think it's just helpful to talk about how this movie originally came into being. Um, he was originally working with a studio to put out a, um, the movie is called I, the jury. Um, I think the character is Mickey Spillane, which is an older kind of detective character. And he wanted to make, he's wanted to make a Mickey Spillane movie for a while, but he's not someone who works good with producers. That's why he often produces his own stuff. In fact, he originally was a writer and then he became a director cause he didn't like what directors were doing with this stuff. And then he started producing because he didn't like being a director <laughs> under producers. So that's why he's often a writer, producer, director. <laughs> that's kind of like uh-huh. how I used to just 
write podcasts and then I didn't like what they were doing so I started starring in them and then I started editing them and then pretty soon I'm just going to kick you out and it's just going <laughs> to oh, no. Sorry, this dude, is all I, I have it. going on right now. It's my fucking journey, man. <laughs> okay. okay. That, that does take. Don't fuck with my arc. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so he's working on this movie called I, the Jury, and he kept uh, having clashes with the producers, and it eventually ended up with uh, them splitting. I don't know if he was fired or if he quit or what, but he still had the hotel booked in New York City, and so he just decided... Well, fuck it. I'm going to stay here and I'm going to make another movie. I so... got a hotel. Might as well make a movie. That's what I do when I have an extra little yeah. bit in a hotel. In one comment, in the commentary, he says he came up, he put this movie together in 48 hours. In later interviews, he said 24 hours. He really likes to spin a yarn, so who knows? Maybe originally it was 72 hours. But it was a very short set of time. Um, That's so where... funny that you the little bit of the interview that I asked or that I listened to with him, I really liked him. I think he's an awesome guy, but I was definitely like, you are exaggerating these stories like, <laughs> right off the bat. I felt that and he was like, I can't, well, I don't know what to tell you. It's true. And it'd be like, eh. It's a really funny part in the documentary where he's, uh, he's talking about a uh, black Caesar and there's a part where uh, Fred Williamson's character, the black Caesar, he has to jump out of a cat, a moving cab and According to Cohen, he's like, he didn't want to do the stunt. And he said, you do it first and then I'll do it. So then I, I did the stunt and I jumped out of the cab and uh, uh, I I said, yeah, see, it was fine. And then I went behind the corner. I was like, oh, that hurts so much. But the whole time he's telling that story, it keeps splitting back and forth to an interview with Fred Williamson where Fred Williamson is just like, that's a Larry Cohen myth. Larry Cohen never jumped out of it, never jumped out of a fucking cab. Larry <laughs> Cohen so is funny. an athlete. Where Larry Cohen would get hurt just stepping out of a cab. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. yeah, you really have to take his stories with a grain of salt, but for um, sure. So yeah. Like no matter what though, this movie it was done in a short period of time after he was fired from this other movie where he was just he had this script and he had talked to Michael Moriarty about it. Um, he had worked, he had been in the army with David Carradine, their old friend. So he called David Carradine. Um, and he, yeah, he just put this together and apparently he called someone to front the money and he was like obsessed with, he wanted to make this movie before I, the jury finished their movie. Oh shit. Uh, and they actually ended up coming out. Um, they premiered on the same day and his movie did more business despite being uh, uh, way less expensive. So nice. he won that battle. Yeah, totally. Well, I, I never would have thought it was rushed. It's it's well done. I mean, yeah, you can tell it's not super high budget, but it's it doesn't feel rushed. Mm-hmm. Right on. Awesome setup. Well, should we dive into the monsters and special effects stuff? Yeah, let's do it. So... Like many people, I bet, the first thing that jumps out at me about this movie when watching it is the gory killings. <laughs> um, it's just very different than most of the kaiju stuff that is out there and is... I've even... I, I read a... I, I read a thing in Giant Creatures in Our World, Essays on Kaiju and American Popular Culture, edited by Camille D.G. Mustachio and Jason Barr, that... Um, where they asked all of the contributors what defines a kaiju and 
um, specifically one of them mentioned this movie as like the the gore, the personal like gore to them meant that it's not a kaiju, uh, which I thought was funny because I <laughs> I totally disagree. But um, I just it, it kind of shows how different that is than most of the things in the genre, right? It feels very 80s horror-esque compared to most, you know? Yeah, um, that's definitely true. Uh, yeah, uh, apparently his idea behind this was just he wanted to, to put a film noir together with a Godzilla-type movie. But it's, it's funny because he actually is not a fan of, like, gore and stuff like that. But mm. he was like, uh, it's a horror movie, so I had to put it in it. I had to do this thing that literally <laughs> yeah. no one else does in the entire genre. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think probably the people that fronted the money were expecting a, yeah. a horror movie, and that's so he had to cater to them. Well, there's a lot of killings, so let's not spend too much time on any of them, but I thought we could just kind of go through and say what we thought about each of them and, and mm. bounce it off each other. Is that cool? Yeah. First scene. (laughs) Yeah, first scene, window washer. So this to me is very interesting. Um, The first scene, it's this creepy window washer, and immediately you're supposed to not like him. Like, not only is he being a creepy, weird stalker to this woman, but the noise he's making is not only frustrating and annoying to her, but to the audience, right? (laughs) And then, boom, his head's gone, and it's like this popping sound, and it's blood everywhere, and it's just a great opening. And there's a little um, splurt from the neck. <laughs> yeah. Just a, um, and it's kind of interesting because to me that starts off where you're thinking, oh, maybe the killings have some sort of justice behind them. Like this guy deserved it. Like maybe he didn't deserve to die, you know. Uh, mm. But he, he, as the audience, if all we know is that he's a creep, we're like, yeah, the creep's dead. The next scene where Quetzalcoatl kills somebody there's also a creep. Like, what the fuck? There's another creep I know. with binoculars. And this girl, as she takes her top off on top of the roof, but then the girl dies. And I feel like that was kind of done intentionally to make us be like, oh, no, this is random killing. This there's isn't... no there's no morality behind it, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And you kind of wish, like, oh, damn it, kill that guy. But <laughs> Exactly. <yeah. laughs> and I do feel like, which we'll get to later, maybe, like, power and justice are kind of themes that are tossed around in this movie so it's an interesting way to immediately like set up expectations and then dash them you know Mm -hmm. um which feels very you know like we as humans a lot of people try to think oh the world is just in general and then so the expectation fits right in and then he's like fuck off no it's not (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah any uh about those two first killings what yeah, what what do you think of them? You have anything to say about them? I mean, not really. I mean, generally, well, just on the effects itself, I I think the effects in this movie, um, in terms of the blood and gore stuff, is is done really well. I think it looks pretty good. Some of it, I think, is very gross, which it should be. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but it's, I mean, uh, it's gross, but it's a little funny too. Oh, yeah, it, it does get a little funny. But. Almost all of them have a little bit of a, like, a whoa <laughs> factor. Yeah, I mean, Larry uh, Larry Cohen, he always has a sense of humor. He always tries to put humor in lots of stuff. I mean, he originally wanted to be a stand-up comedian, and in his interviews and stuff, he's just trying to crack jokes nonstop. That's just his kind of thing. So I don't think he can take things too seriously. 
But um, yeah, I mean, I think we we discussed that it it spins his head. The first guy, you're like, yeah, that guy's a fucking creep. Bite his goddamn head off, and then you're really anticipating the 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 guy with the binoculars to get got, and then he doesn't get got, and it's like, oh damn it, <laughs> totally. And um, I gotta say, I loved after uh, the second killing that we see the girl on the roof the blood falling on people on the street is such mm-hmm. an awesome weird detail it just makes it feel like it like reconnects it to the outside movie kind of and it's also just like funny and people are just like oh god oh, oh. i don't know it's just, it's just I, I also love how it's just like so many people you would think like if another director you would thought of that you think it'd be like one or two people but he, he does it like between like six people or something it's like ridiculous (laughs) um we skipped over the uh the skinned body in the room as Mm. a gory death but i don't know just creepy effects looked good to me yeah it looked good to me too so yeah it almost feels like the it goes in a direction of like mostly not just like the next one's the construction site scene which is just so pathetic (laughs) (laughs) do you want to talk about that one yeah, I mean, you have this this scene with uh, it's like three different construction workers, and there's one who's like whining about who stole his lunch. He's obviously like continually bullied by his coworkers, and then and he's wearing a sweater at a construction site, like a nice sweater. <laughs> Everybody else is in like plaid or a t-shirt and jeans. Yeah. He has a goddamn collared shirt under a sweater. Like, and he has the my pail. He has the whiniest voice, and he's just like, "Come on, who took? Come on, guys, stop it! Oh, my my wife told me I I I can't lose my 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 shit over this, but oh, it's so it's so angry. <laughs> it sucks because like he's obviously the good guy in the scenario. Yeah, he's obviously <laughs> in the right. These guys are fucking assholes. They took his they took his launch that his wife made for him, and they're mocking him, about... being like." Oh, you're always accusing us of this shit every time, and then it is them. Yeah, and then you cut to them eating the lunch, and one of them's joking about how he's, like, gonna try to have sex with his wife. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, so you really want Q to eat those guys, but yeah. instead he eats the guy that's being bullied. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Which... And, uh, yeah, I I mean, it was kind of a funny, uh, yeah, it's just like a, a, a shot of Q's mouth really close. And then him screaming, and then his helmet kind of falling full of blood. But, like, it works. And then his foot on the ground after. Um, yeah. And people crowding around it. Which, you said your version of it, you don't think had the foot on the ground? I don't think so. I don't remember it through all the times I watched it. And then I saw a clip. I watched Cinemassacre's video on Q, and I saw a, cl- a clip of the foot. And I went back, and I watched the scene I thought it would be in, and I still didn't notice it. For, for people sure. listening, I have the Scream Factory edition. I don't. Maybe I. I I'm just stupid, and it's I don't probably know. that all. Maybe I just. Points. I look away every time that that shot comes up. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't remember that shot though. So I kind of do feel like they blew their budget on the early killings because, like, you have like the guy with his head chopped off, blood shooting out, but then like. By the time we get to the that guy, it's just a helmet that drops, and then the next guy, the with the cart on the roof, he just like does a front flip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just fucking he gets yeeted. <laughs> <Rules>. Yeah, <laughs> totally. 
but but yeah, it's very it's very cheesy and silly <laughs> the way he just kind of flies up. <laughs> it makes no sense. He just does a front flip and then he's yeah like, like and <laughs> and also like we're supposed to believe like Q takes these people and eats them, but that yeah. doesn't seem to be the case when that guy just kind of flies just a flip like that. <laughs> yeah, true. And then we do. I think. I think he's the one we see later with his head missing uh, that they come across in the tower. So I was trying to figure okay. out who that was because it couldn't have been the headless guy because they found him headless in the beginning. For um, sure. Anyway, so yeah, up till now, it's literally just people on rooftops being killed. <laughs> so just don't go on the roof, idiots. Like, come on. Yes. Um, I mean, like, unless you're going up there to drop a cantaloupe, then who can blame you? Um, but then Quinn leads his two friends or, you know, criminal friends into the nest. And those are the next two killings. But I mean, we don't really see that, right? It's just, just yeah. Happens. Yeah. But I, I do love that Moriarty, um, he's screaming like, eat them, eat them. <laughs> and then he's like, I never it's... killed anybody in my life. I never killed this. Isn't... And we'll get to Moriarty. He is a fucking trip. I really want to <laughs> see that actor in a different movie because to me he did such a good job he just is that guy that i hate yeah <laughs> like does he act very different in a well we're not talking about that right now we're talking about deaths i'm sorry mm-hmm. okay just to go through the rolodex of deaths next one's the push-up guy uh well you mean swimming. a push push-up girl push-up guy the guys do the guy the girl's doing push-ups the guy's talking about it but he's the one who dies oh gotcha yeah yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You're He's right. like, oh, I'm yes. just so glad I came up here to do this. I was like, dude, nobody's holding a gun to your head. This is what yeah. you have to do with your day. Don't be a fucking <laughs> and, turd. And also, like, you're just counting, like, yeah, a, a girl doing push-ups. <laughs> like, it's not, yeah, like, I, I hate encouraging my friends for activities. Yeah, like, like, what a bummer. Presumably, this is your friend who's, like, trying to get in good shape. And it's like, it's not that hard to just count push-ups, like, to count to 50, like. <laughs> he's he's fucking taking it hard <laughs> he's taking it real hard um i did love how he gets grabbed by the talons and you hear his bones crack it's yeah, so rules. good that's a really good one <laughs> and then all the other deaths from q are cops which you know yeah q is a member of antifa certified that sentence out of context <laughs> Charlie's trying really hard not to spit his drink out of his nose <laughs> Q is a member of Antifa that's not a 2020 or 2021 sentence you can, you can say <laughs> oh man I'm not afraid to go there yeah dude we fucking spitting truths where we go one we go all um <laughs> Sorry, conservatives, we're taking Q. That's ours now. You you all took all the other conspiracies. We're taking Q. Yeah, to, which also <laughs> took all the other conspiracies. Yes. So, now we get anti-vax. Now we get chemtrails. We get it all. <laughs> Q is probably just a human that took a lot of adrenochrome. That's all Q is. <laughs> wow, I'm going to start taking adrenochrome. The winged beast. Yeah, dude, it's fucking sick. <laughs> dude, you lay eggs way too big for your butt. It's it's a thing. But do eggs come out of butts? I don't know biology. Uh, 
Don't answer that. <laughs> I like the mystery of life. Okay. <laughs> okay, so first cop death is Powell. Pretty uneventful. He gets grabbed. Was that the first cop death? Wow. Yeah. Seems like there would have been some before that. There's but a yeah, cop before he... him who gets hit by the, uh, by like. The... Oh, by the, the Aztec summoner. Yeah, but the last time yeah. we see him, he's still breathing, unfortunately. So we got to take Powell <laughs> as the first cop death. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, um, that was awesome. It was really funny because first they're on the rooftop and at first he gets hit by a bird kite. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he gets hit by the fucking yeah. bird demon. <laughs> that's true. That's so funny. It's like the kite's like a little jump scare, but then it's like, nope, nope, yeah. Yeah. Still not learning your lesson, cop. Still not looking up. And then it cuts to the mime's reaction, which is just such a funny reaction. That clown mime cop, what? I just just feel like Larry Cohen was just like, cops are clowns. Here we go. (laughs) Um... And then, so there's only four cop deaths, which really blew my mind, because it feels like a lot. Wow. But there's basically Powell, and then there's three that get grabbed or bitten and thrown off the tower, and all three of those are great. They're just bodies, like, look really long, and they're like, whoa! whoa! <laughs> so cheesy and silly. I love it. And he doesn't it. eat any of them. The whole thing is like, <laughs> oh, he needs its food, so he only comes out at noon, and blah, blah, and he's just like, wah, wah. What? Just yeah, throw it up on the ground. Yeet, yeet, yeet. <laughs> totally. Um, well, yeah, we just went through all of the fucking Q killings. Should we talk about the, the giant bird, the winged serpent, the god, the monster, or neither itself? All right. Uh, yeah, what do you think of, what do you think of how Q looks? The design of Q is pretty cool. It's It's a little weird that they keep calling it the feathered serpent and shit, and it's not feathered, but I got over it pretty quick. Um, it looks cool. Its face is a little, I mean, it's just creepy. It's a little like, it just looks like it has human skin. It's just, and like very rounded and smooth and, but it looks um, like if they, if they made a, um, a Rex into a serpent, isn't that the hairless cat? Isn't that what that's called? Sure. I don't know. Uh, okay. I like cats with hair. I'm a normal man. (laughs) There's the breed without hair, and it kind of looks like, like Q. Uh, Shishire? No. Egyptian wrinkly boy? Old man cat? It's a, we can just cut all this. Smooth baby bottom cat? Skinny dinny? I think it's a skinny dinny. I'm cutting the rest. It's just going to be you agreeing with me. <laughs> oh, it's a sphinx cat. I thought it was a Yeah, rinx. sphinx cat. Like I said, an Egyptian something something. Um, you're asking about the design specifically of Q. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. It's chill. I liked him. Her. I like them. Them. Them Got works. Good, good wings. I don't know what what they are. They're just Q. I mean, I, she laid eggs, so I assume it was a never assume Godzilla ninety eight, which ripped off this movie. Oh yeah, Godzilla ninety eight ripped off this movie hard, according to Larry Cohen, right? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Which is so funny to me. Because <laughs> that thing, that movie ripped off a lot of movies, but the eggs were just a vehicle for the for the velociraptors from Jurassic Park to come. It wasn't like, yeah, it I, just seems funny. Yeah, I don't remember that specific movie, but he says 
he says the ending scene in particular was a ripoff of his ending scene in that. Um, and also he says he saw like the, the producer or something at somewhere and he was like, Oh, Hey, what's up? And the producer just like walked away without saying, saying anything. And that was like right before Godzilla came out. But then he's like, yeah, but then the producer bought one of my scripts later. So I have no hard feelings towards him. Um, I mean, the producer walked away without saying anything because he'd been working on Godzilla 98 and some <laughs> fucking zombie who had no fucking connection to the to the human world and whose life was getting emptier and emptier by the minute. That's my guess. Larry was a very self-aggrandizing uh, character. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I liked the design. What did you think of the design? I liked it a lot. I, I, I mean, I thought that, you're right, it's just like, this just kind of like gross skin but that just really contributes to how creepy and weird it is uh yeah and it's really if you ask me like what i thought quizzicottle i don't know if pronouncing that correct looked like it would never be like this but i also wouldn't no. think it was just this horrible murdering demon type thing anyways but yeah yeah well i mean we might get to my personal theory is that this isn't quizzicottle but we'll get to that when we get to later stuff for sure. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. Uh, it definitely doesn't look like the uh, Aztec paintings and or carvings that I have associated <laughs> with Quetzalcoatl for a long time. Yeah. Um, I really liked the buildup of Q. I liked that we start by seeing really quick flashes and small snippets of him. And then that shadow on the building is the first full body like shape shot and that shadow on the building with the clearly animated one looks really fucking cool yeah and then yeah we don't get the first full shot of q i believe till the push-up counting guy is killed um so i liked i liked the build-up of that what do you think of that yeah i agree i like that a lot um and i also liked how he it's really fun how he he really intersperses like the q scenes throughout the movie like it you'll just have a scene of something else and they'll cut to just Q killing something. So you never really lose, uh, I guess, memory of this, of this beast. Uh, it's, I, I, I think that's fun. How it, you just, every few minutes, you'll know, you'll, you'll get to see Q in action. Um, You're right. That is very unique and, and fun. It's like, it's almost like a movie where you're like, there's two storylines and you're like, when are these two things going to connect? But it's like, <laughs> the fucking just monster killing things and then a human story you know yeah <laughs> i thought the effects were really interesting because the the stop motion and stuff it looks cool but like i'm not saying this in a critical way it but it looks bad a lot of the time to me like it doesn't look realistic but it it's also like feels intentionally like abstract or surreal like, mm -hmm. the shots of Q are often, like, these weird angles that don't seem like the kind of the opposite of the angle of the victim we're seeing. Um, it It's, like, it's just these strange, like, quick, sharp-angled shots of Q during killings. And, like, I don't know, it works so well to me where it feels, like, partially, like, artsy, but it also partially kind of makes this monster feel like not a part of this world like this this otherly thing i don't know if that makes sense to you no that does and uh there could be a reason for that so well first of all as a side note um there are two people who did the the special effects on this one of them 
He actually made a stop-motion King Kong commercial in the 80s for a car company. And he worked on uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong, as well as the Lord of the Ring movies. Um, wow. So that's, that's kind of an interesting connection. Uh, sucks that he went so far downhill from Q. <laughs> I agree. Um, <laughs> I'd much rather watch Q than a Lord of the Rings movie. But, uh... This ob- I mean, yes, you said Dead Alive is Peter Jackson's best movie when... I, I, I ran the numbers. His best movie is uh, Fellowship of the Ring, but what? I digress. I like the Lord of the Rings movies. I've never really seen the second one, but I like the first and the third one. Um, second one's so good, bro. Ugh. I the only time I tried to watch it, I fell asleep. So I don't know. Wake up. It was like after a D and D night where we'd been drinking, and you put on a long ass movie where they're just walking a bunch. It's hard to. They don't walk a bunch in that one. They chop off a bunch of heads. You got the wrong movie. Anyway, keep it going. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Larry Cohen. <laughs> so when you work with animators, you're supposed to go over stuff in the beginning larry cohen just shot all this stuff and in his head he had an idea of where the the monster should be and then he gave that footage to the special effects people and they're like what the fuck this isn't how it's supposed to be done he's like oh you can do it just put the monster in these shots (laughs) so that's so funny it was not there's only one shot i can think of in the entire movie where there are people and a scene happening, and the monster's in the shot with them. Every mm. other, and it looks good, and we'll get to it, but every other shot is, like, someone screaming, looking off screen, and then a, Wah! like, just the, the monster <laughs> writhing. And yeah. I think it really works for the absurdity of this movie, but yes, it, it did feel very low-budget and a little clunky, but in a way that, like, this whole movie is so strange, it kind of worked. Yeah, um... Also, I thought the animation is very reminiscent of uh, Harry Housen stuff. Um, yeah. It's, so it's really weird to kind of see that in this uh, early '80s movie where it's where they would be kind of out of date. But uh, yeah, I, I I find it very charming and uh, it has a certain charisma to it. And yeah, like like you said, it adds a certain kind of uh, surrealness to it. Um, how it's it, the different angles and stuff, and how it's just not what you would be expecting totally yes. just like how you wouldn't expect a movie set in new york city to have quetzalcoatl be the <laughs> you know it like all kind of works together, yeah. you know uh-huh yeah i thought the i was like we'll get to it but now it's the next note i have i thought the shot where q gets hurt a lot and lands on that uh, uh the pyramid of stairs or whatever on the top of that building and is like writhing and then there's a Mm -hmm. shot from the street where there's people like rushing by and he's in the background there i thought that was by far the best effect of the movie like it looked fucking awesome and it looked like he was really in new york city which normally it didn't at all look like that to me you know she them um sorry thanks yeah and uh that's also just a really neat thing because it's going to the uh uh pyramid figure that the, the building that looks like an aztec pyramid so that's uh, i think you mentioned in the commentary that it's like uh she's hurt so she's going to what she kind of recognizes which would be oh. an aztec pyramid um which is kind of a little neat idea 
Yeah, that is neat. I feel like there was uh, a bit of weird symbolism with the buildings in this movie, and that's that's definitely one of the things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that that effect a lot. Um, the scene where David Carradine is up in the tower, and they're like, oh, he the Q's dead, and then all of a sudden Q sticks her face right behind him. Yeah. Um, that was actually shot on a blue screen in Larry's backyard, which was, I thought was a funny little... <laughs> the whole thing? Detail. Um, I mean, I think that, that shot, that particular shot where the head comes through behind but like so so it wasn't just like yeah i don't even know how it would work out right because that shot is the worst effect of the movie it looks so (laughs) well like it was done on a blue screen yeah that makes sense now like it just like david carradine does not look like it's just one of those things where your mind is trying to make sense of it but the amount the length of the neck going into the building would have passed but it doesn't so it just doesn't make any sense it's just funny but i'll like yeah it's one of those things where in this movie i just don't care like i'm not yeah this movie is like it's like more of a horror movie than most but it than most like giant monster movies but it's not horrific like i've never for a second was scared in this movie you know what i mean no and i don't think larry cohen was going for that i don't think he was trying to he he's he talk he's he was never really a big horror fan um, for sure, but yeah, he just kind of dabbled in the horror genre to make movies that he thought was fun, basically. Well, anything else about uh, our our titular Q, or should we move on to the last effects, the the eggs and the babies? Let's move on to the babies, baby. So yeah, I don't get how that egg fit out of that beast but you know i'm not i'm not here to judge the baby q puppet or whatever it was i'm assuming it was a puppet that breaks out of the egg was fucking nasty i know it was so gross this is like yellow goop like coming out of it when they shoot it it's like (laughs) i will say when uh quinn goes up and then it like jumps and that's the that's the closest to a jump scare in this movie it's the closest to like a horror thing yeah Um, and quinn would agree yes um (laughs) the the all i could keep thinking with with this puppet was of quato from total recall do you remember (laughs) yeah i just i just watched i just watched that a few months ago yes okay i haven't seen that since i was probably 15 but i couldn't oh my god of quato um dude this podcast is now going to be a verhoven retrospect podcast a no more kaiju. It's a director. Paul oh, Verhoeven. okay. Yeah. Um. Recently, I was thinking it'd be really fun to have a podcast where all we did was like read a Philip K. Dick book or story, then watch the movie back and forth. <laughs> but you know, we can do that when we run out of all these. Um. But yeah, that uh. Do you know what I mean with the Quato thing though? It's just like, Whoa, yeah, it's so pathetic, but also <laughs> so commanding in its loudness. <laughs> And so gross to look at. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, the movie ends, of course, with the second egg. And I feel like no matter how much 
Larry Cohen was willing to, you know, break genre tropes or meld genres or do his own thing. It's not a giant monster movie if there's not a threat of another giant monster coming. You know what I mean? Like, it's like you have to. Well, it's funny. I was thinking about this. So in Black Caesar, which is, a, I think it was his second film from the, maybe in like the early 70s. Um, at Originally at the end of that, he had... Uh, Fred Williamson's character, the, the uh, Tommy Gibbs, the uh, Black Caesar, he had him die at the end of it. And when they premiered it to audiences, they got really upset that he died. And the producer was like, I warned you, don't kill him at the end. And so he like went to New York right before the premiere and cut the end of the movie um, so that he didn't die at the end. And then they were open to make a sequel. So... Kind of maybe makes me think if he learned his lesson, like, well, I need to leave a sequel opening at the end of this. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but also, it's just like, what? I mean, the the very first, got the first Godzilla. It's like, if we keep doing this, another will come back. And since then, it's like almost every first yeah. monster movie has this thing at the end. Even Godzilla ninety eight, mm-hmm. which maybe that's what he's saying. Ripped him off. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I also just recently watched the two critters, uh, the first two critters movies, where the first one ends with, uh, oh, and there are actually some eggs that are going to hatch. For sure. Made me think of that. Totally. Any other effects or monster stuff before we move on? Not monster stuff, but effects, just like, uh, I mean, we mentioned that skin body that they found, and then they find the the body with like the heart torn out that's been in the, the river. I thought that body looked really cool. Um, Agreed. Really, really gross. Realistic. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, I thought those effects were done really well. Totally. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's move on and talk about the uh, filmmaking of the movie. <laughs> the music. This movie has music in it. What do you think of it? This is all right. I can only really think of the theme off the top of my head with a blip, 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 blip. That's you're thinking of a, a, a fire alarm. <laughs> We're talking about a movie and the music that's in the movie. The movie is more like, weep, 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 weep. I don't that know what motif, you're talking about. The little motif goes through. It sounds, it sounds like a flying thing. I guess I kind of can feel it. I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm thinking of like... I think I, I, I can kind of feel it, but it's hard... It's late. I'm tired. I don't know. <laughs> no, don't get me wrong. There is no reason why you should be able to know okay. what the fuck I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to do. Got it. Okay, good. I'm bad at stuff. <laughs> I, on, I disagree, but at this, I'll agree with you. Um... That. Oh, okay. Bloop, bloop, bloop. Okay, okay, I see. Yeah, I th- I thought the I'm generally like when especially for more modern films when it's like an orchestral score or whatever I'm generally like eh, whatever like it's it's kind mm-hmm. of just forgettable because I grew up with every movie having that and it just kind of blends in. But I th- I thought the opening music really set a good tone. I don't know. I just, I generally like it, none of it blew me away, but I thought it was pretty good for yeah. what he was doing. It's kind of like weirdly 
like modern but surreal, which is kind of the film. Mm-hmm. I mean, besides the main theme, none of it really kind of stuck out to me. In which case, I feel like it mostly did its job. Is just... sure. Yeah. Well, obviously, we can agree. The best music in the movie was Jimmy Quinn's song in the bar. Oh, so, yeah, I actually have a note about that, which kind of also goes into our next uh, part, directing. There's one point when they're making the movie, in between scenes, and uh, Moriarty was listening to headphones, and Larry Cohen asked him what he's listening to, and he was like, oh, it's... um." some jazz music i'm actually like a a jazz pianist and i have a a night show that i do and so larry cohen is like oh that's great let's write that into the character and he just sat down right there and he wrote the scene in where he auditions and he wrote the piano playing into the character and moriarty was like amazed just to watch a director just sit down and just off the top of his head write a scene just specifically for him and Apparently that's like where he kind of like fell in love with working with Larry Cohen. Was was this their first movie together? Yeah, this was their first movie together. Oh, and, cool. And like, uh, so that while they were filming, uh, Larry realized that Moriarty was really great and really loved improvisation. So throughout the movie, Larry would like yell lines out to him that he would think on the uh, think up on the spot, and Moriarty would just pick it up immediately and be able to like act seamlessly and call out those lines. So like that that scene where he's like yelling "Eat them, eat them" when he's uh, when he led the two other uh, criminals up to the nest, like that was just Larry Cohen like yelling out like "Say eat them, say eat them," and him That's just awesome. like seamlessly just kind of improvising that into his his dialogue. Um, that's awesome but but yeah apparently throughout the whole movie they were doing that which is really neat well yeah obviously that song was terrible Um, (laughs) but he's obviously very talented you know Mm -hmm. Um, I thought it was really funny that when Jimmy Quinn is escaping the apartment from those guys they play scat music over his escape I think that might have been his music I think that because at the end of the movie in the credits, it credits the song to him. And maybe that was just the song that he does in the bar. But oh, okay. I feel like it, it possibly could have... It sounded like a different guy. Okay, maybe it was. I have no idea. His voice was just way more, like, way deeper and different. But who knows? Yeah. All right, what about the directing? Um, Most of the stuff that I wanted to bring up for directing have to do with, like, shots and, and symbolism and stuff. But um, did did you have anything specific you wanted to bring up first? I mean, I've already brought up how he's uh, he's very much um, improvising stuff on the fly. Uh, he brings up that, that first scene um, with the window washer and stuff. So that window washer was an actual window washer that he just asked me he wanted to be in the movie. And that scene was not in the original script, but they got that uh, location. So he just wrote that scene. Um, Hell yeah. And you just, you really see that throughout really like all of his movies um the great examples in uh god told me to there's uh a scene where there's a police parade and then andy kaufman (laughs) andy kaufman is the police marching along in the police parade and then he like pulls a gun out and shoots somebody or something like that it's been a long time since i've seen it um but they didn't get any permits for that there was just an actual police parade and larry cohen is like 
Well, they're just going to assume that nobody would do this without without permission, so it'll be fine. Nice. <laughs> so they just go and get the shot. Um, That's awesome. We're white dudes, so we can yeah. carry cameras wherever. Yeah, I mean, and sometimes it gets into pretty dangerous territory. Like uh, in Black Caesar, there's a part where um, there's a chase scene and a cab drives onto the sidewalk. And Larry is just like, well... If people are on the sidewalk, they'll just jump out of the way. And it's like, Jesus, that's really fucked up. And then yeah. in, in this movie, at the end, when they're firing the machine guns, all those shells were dropping down from the building. Um, but luckily, there was canopy up. But yeah, he talks about how, oh, I didn't even think about that. It's like, you... Like, on the one hand, I appreciate just, like, the the drive to just, like, just fucking get it, get the shot at all costs. But then yeah. it's like... You asshole! With those fucking costs, those potential costs. Yeah. But hey, nobody was hurt in the long run, so I guess I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, that we know of for yeah. sure. <laughs> and as we know, if you make a bad decision and nobody was hurt, it was a good decision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, I had two things I wanted to bring up with uh, directing choices in the movie. Um, one of them was something I didn't notice till the very end, but uh of my of my second watch but the movie seems to have quite a few i only have two noted here but i think there are more like objects or ideas that connect scenes from one to the next scene so like for instance the first scene where we meet jimmy quinn they're in the restaurant with all the other uh uh soon to be diamond thieves right uh-huh. And there's a close up in in the foreground of this like animal carcass being like flayed, um, and it's kind of like why is this the in the focus so much you know? But yeah. then the very next scene is the skinned body. Oh shit! And then the uh, person says, "I believe uh, flayed." I believe is the correct term, <laughs> and it's like very. Like, I didn't notice at all. Like, both those things seem so out of nowhere. But then together, it's like connecting those two threads that are separate. Like, just maybe to say these things are going to be connected later. I need to do more Kratom. (laughs) Uh, The other one I noticed is even more obvious. Um, They're talking about the guy who gets his head cut off, the window washer. Mm. And, you know, that's where the, like... I wonder where his head is. And he says, like, oh, you ever dropped it? Like, it's it's gone. You ever dropped a cantaloupe from 40 feet? Which is such a funny line. Like, no, <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> Thanks for asking, cop. Um, what do you cops do during training that I don't know about? Anyway, the, somebody says, what did his head float away like a balloon? Very next shot, one of the aerial shots that are so prolific in this movie, and it's a pink balloon that they're following. Oh... Uh... Yeah, so I feel like I I lost I stopped kind of looking for that stuff later, but I bet you there's more because that's those are both pretty early in the movie and they're they're very clearly strongly co- connecting scenes through imagery, and that's what I was saying. That's what I meant when I was saying that um they didn't feel like improvised to me. Like those feel very intentional. Oh yeah, uh, now that you bring those up, those do seem. I mean, I don't mean everything was completely improvised, but I just mean it, it was very shot by the hip then yeah totally but yeah i thought those two things were really cool things like that even though they don't have like a super deep meaning just show me that there's like a a a tapestry being made you know 
So the the other like camera directing choice that I noticed that was kind of cool was so obviously we have all those um flying shots that like you're not seeing the monster but it's kind of it's ambiguous whether you're seeing it from the perspective of the monster or whether it's just, you know, shots uh-huh. of the city. Yeah. Um but I noticed that when you have an overhead view of a person like that it's focusing on that usually foreshadows their death. Really? Um yeah, there's quite a few times where it it does an overhead view and then it focuses on someone and then the next scene is them dying or the next part <laughs> is them dying. And then there's also shots with Quinn early in the movie, especially when he's kind of in a manic state where the shots shoot very high up from the street. Like he's looking at the top of towers um, from the bottom. And I feel like that was showing a juxtaposition between Q, the winged serpent and Quinn, the like street guy and their very opposite perspectives. And it, because like Quinn's obviously trying to get on top, he wishes he had power. He wishes he had the ability to rule over others. Kind of like Q is, and it's showing how far he is from that. Uh, they're just, just with camera angles, which I thought was a really fucking awesome little touch, you know? Yeah. This is the, this is the smart shit. People tune in to know gods, no monsters for. <laughs> I'm glad you feel that way. Um, last thing is that the uh, wind sounds and the angle and the motion of the views from the top of the uh, Chrysler building just made it actually fucking scary. Like, those were just well done. Like, you know the shots when it's, like, looking over and then it's like... Like, I yeah. feel, like, fucking scared. It's like watching that documentary Free Solo or something. I'm just like, oh, man, yeah. I'm going to fall. Well, yeah, I mean, that was all, like, real, too. Like oh, they. shit. They got permits to the Chrysler building, like up at the, uh, not all, all up at the top, and then like Larry saw like a ladder going up higher, and like he went up there, and there's like all Shit. this open, all the there are no windows there, it's just open out, and uh, um, oh damn, he, so that was all actually the Chrysler building. Uh, yeah, a lot of it was, yeah. Holy shit. I mean, obviously, other than his backyard with the blue screen. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah, and like those people, those cops in the baskets, those were uh. I think they were electricians or something who were actually like in baskets doing work on the Chrysler building. And he was like, let's just put them in uh cop uniforms and they can do this for us instead of hiring stuntmen. Um, Did he really throw them off the building too? I, I mean, if they were in cop uniforms, they deserved it. So hopefully <laughs> it, it'd be weird to, to really throw them off the building and then make it look so bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the a lot of the cops also were actual cops, off-duty cops. That uh, he was like, "Let's Boo. just yeah." He's like, "Let's hire them because uh, then we don't have to pay for uniforms." Boo. <laughs> um. Well, that's most of the directing stuff I had. I uh, the only other thing is that the opening artwork is fucking sick. I love that Q dragon looking Q. Thing. Oh yeah, that's sweet. Sick as fuck. Yeah. Do you have other directing stuff, or we cover it all? I think we covered it all. All right, should we move on to talking about some of these characters? All right. Jimmy Quinn, the titular Q. <laughs> um, maybe that was the rhyming. I, because I, I did note, I, I did think like they, they must have intentionally named him Quinn. They must have intentionally oh, yeah. given him a Q name. Yeah, I think um, there's a. 
I have a theory we'll get to at the end, but okay. yes, I agree with you. Also, um, there were there were quite a few mentions um throughout, like the first the guy who was skinned, they were like he bought a copy of Q magazine and then that's oh, the yeah, last time anybody saw him. For sure. <laughs> I didn't notice that the first I didn't notice that to like the third my third watch and it's like, Oh, Q magazine, I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah, we got you. Wink wink. <laughs> Where we go on, we go, oh, I see what you're doing, Larry. Totally. Trying to warn us about Hollywood. Totally, yeah, dude. So, Jimmy Quinn, incredibly infuriating to me. He's both, like, a victim that you feel sorry for and a perpetrator that you hate, and he's just can't... Yeah. He's really bad at being a human. He's so wormy. (laughs) Um, Yeah. uh, Yeah, I mean, um, we'll get into it more when we talk about... uh, the more political stuff but yeah he really lays out um he mentions that you know when he was 19 he was uh, a cop planted cocaine on him and he spent yeah. and he spent time in jail and I, he it was he was he said he was in jail for two crimes and one of them was the cocaine which he says was planted on him and he, the other one he said i did so it was I like thought, a half and half thing okay i thought he said the cop planted uh, uh, I had a bad rap from a cop. He planted cocaine on me. I got two years, three months. The next crime I did, I admit to that, but the city owes me one. Oh, that's what so I like, thought I heard. But uh, that my, could be true. That could be my, true. My my disc didn't have subtitles, but um, I rewound it a few times, and that's what I deciphered. I could be wrong though. Okay, I I like that reading better anyway. But yeah, mm. okay. So yeah, it's this whole thing where he's. He grew up poor, and he's an addict, and he went to prison because he was framed. So a lot of the things he does that are terrible, I'm like, well, that's not your fault. That's systemic. But then yeah. some of the stuff, it's not. like, Yeah, normal. like that's not an excuse for, um, we know he's uh, a domestic abuser, which yes. they talk about, which was, uh, yeah, I mean, that was the, the, the worst part of his character for me was that. Oh, for sure. Because like a lot of the stuff you're like, okay, I can kind of understand that, but when he's like, when his girlfriend's like, oh, don't, hit, at least you're not hitting me again. It's like, oh, well, that's yeah, just never you. excusable. <laughs> like, yeah, sucks that he's a domestic abuser. It's fucking, that, that's the thing where I'm like, well, I fucking hate you and I hate the cops. So yeah. it's a movie full of people I hate. Maybe I like Q <laughs> the best. <laughs> She's pretty cool. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, his, that character is, he's just so loathsome in so many ways and he's so he's so cowardly in so many ways um uh i mean which he even admits himself he uh uh and he's ashamed about you know he's at the top of the building he's like i'm afraid of pretty much everything but i'm not afraid of heights yeah and then he's also ashamed about it he comes late after that whole scene when he's um back home he's like i ran twice today like that really emphasizes how he's like (laughs) taking note of how cowardly he feels how he he felt he had to run multiple That's times. That's funny. And... I took that line as him being such a wuss that he's like, I had to r- move at full speed twice today. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, I... I took it as like, ah, oh, don't you have sympathy for me? I jogged twice. <laughs> I, I yeah, I read that as him being ashamed. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes because sense. in that same scene, he was like, uh, I want to cry, but I can't cry because that uh, um, yeah, men don't cry whatever totally yeah yeah um 
And it's interesting with the, the fear thing you brought up. He's like, I'm almost afraid of everything, but I, I'm never afraid of heights. And then I think the last line he says in the movie is, I'm not afraid anymore. Yeah. Um, but he's such a piece of shit and he's so like weirdly self-aware, but then not or self-aware, but then can't control himself that I'm just like, I don't believe you. You're going to be afraid in five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. In the commentary, Larry says that he wanted to show Moriarty that they're Quinn having courage for once um, mm. That in that last line. Well, he, he, he shows some courage at the very end, but we'll get to yeah. that. Or maybe he does. I don't know. But yeah, it's it's funny that like we're introduced to him at a table full of I don't want to use the word criminals because like criminals are fine, criminals are great, but like like people who just seem like stereotypical criminal, like scumbags, like they're they're trying to rope yeah. him into a diamond heist without telling him everything he's gonna need to do and and all that. But at that table he immediately comes off as the sketchy one. Like yeah. he takes Yeah, he's eating all food. the fucking cashew chicken. Yeah, and then he's who does that? For, he's asking to have the same share as them with less risk, and then clearly is lying to them about having another job. Like we know nothing about this character, but we know he doesn't have another job just from the way he says it. Well, I thought the the because the next scene is him um, doing the audition. I thought that's the job that he was talking about. He still that had fits, hopes. That fits he, just enough, though. We know he doesn't really have another job, and we know. Uh-huh whatever it is is just as sketchy as what he's sitting at right now you know mm. yeah well with that getaway or not with the getaway with the heist really stupid move on their part though when you're doing a heist don't take the keys from the from the driver like i mean it might have been smart in this instance because he was going to ditch them but I don't think he was originally going to ditch them, but I think... Till they put him inside. I mean, the the dumb thing to me about the heist is you don't fucking plan a an action, whether it's a heist or a fucking lockdown or a fucking animal liberation, whatever it is. You don't plan it, and then with people you can't trust, and you don't mm. plan it, and then right at the scene, it changed the Change plan. everything, yeah. Like, it's so fucking <laughs> stupid. And... By the way, did you notice the name of the diamond place? No. Neil Diamond. I see funny. what they did there. That's yeah. that's clever. Porcupine yeah, that was pie. Stupid. But he, he not only were they stupid, but then everything he did there made no sense. Like he runs out with the diamonds and then he loses them. He doesn't even seem to he doesn't run after them like with any concerted effort. Like yeah, just I think it's everything just... he does makes me yell at the screen. <laughs> everything. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that part was really annoying. Like, I, I mean, I think that it's just he's so freaked out about getting caught that he's that that weighs over him more than getting the actual diamonds. But yeah, I was just like, oh, there's a fucking suitcase of diamonds in the goddamn yeah. street. Go grab that shit. <laughs> totally. But yeah, I mean, I just I just want to point out, I I feel like this is uh, Moriarty did incredible acting here. I feel like this whole. Yeah. This whole role, I think he really just blew it away. Um, yeah, I'm not that familiar with him as an actor. Besides, uh, I've only seen one of his other movies he did with with uh, Larry Cohen, uh, which he's good in. But I think this is just like really, really notable, a uh, great role here that he blew away. Yeah, I mean, I buy it. I hate him like yeah. the whole time. <laughs> 
he makes me so uncomfortable. Like the first time watching this movie, I was so uncomfortable. The second time it was a blast because <laughs> I knew it was going to happen and I wasn't like putting all my stake into this person, but he's just so awkward in every moment. Like there's not a single thing. He goes to fucking, he goes to the bar to try to get a job and he's telling terrible jokes. This piano couldn't be hurt. <laughs> what the fuck does that even mean? Terrible <laughs> scat. He's obviously talented at piano. But he plays a terrible song. I know. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's just like intentionally fucking up the audition. I was so confused by that because, like, yeah, I don't know. He's just like, yeah, I was expecting you to hate this, and it's like, what, what, what the fuck were you doing? Like, yeah, she cries every night. Like, there's good scat. Like, compared to that, like, yeah. I did like though in that scene when uh he turns to uh Carradine's character and he's like, Yeah, well, what the fuck do you know? <laughs> yeah. That was great. He's like, Yeah, you tell that cop. <laughs> totally. That cop who's day drinking and telling the bartender the facts of the case of the beheaded man. Also, wasn't the bar closed? Um Oh I, yeah. Am I misremembering that? Yeah, did you see we're not open? He's like, oh, I'm here to audition? Yeah. I mean, I guess the the bartender knows the cop, then he'll be like, sure. yeah, you can come in and drink, but still. But yeah, he's really like, unprofessional. He's always trying to impress people. The That first scene, he says, oh, I got another gig, and they're like, yeah, right, you haven't worked mm. in a month. And then here he's like, I got another job anyway. It's like, why would they care? Yeah. Like, you're just, anything you're doing to look good or look cool or look like you're the top guy makes you look worse. And the worst thing to me is just, like, a pet peeve I have in general, and I know it's not fair, but, like, people not thinking about the perspective of the people they're talking to is, like, the most annoying thing to me in the world. So when he's trying to explain himself to people, but clearly not thinking about what information the people he's listening to or talking to do or don't have, it kills me. It's just like, and there's, you know, there's a Ness. There's a big egg and the tower and the, and it's like, dude, what you have a goal here. It's to be understood, but you don't give a fuck. Like it just drives me fucking wild. Whether it's the scene where he's talking to the commissioner, trying to explain his position and what he knows and why he wants the terms, whether it's him talking to Joan, whether it's him talking to cops, no matter what is happening, he's explaining himself in a way where no one will understand what he means. And it just makes me lose my fucking mind, dude. Yeah. Well, he's the center of his own world. So he yeah. thinks people should just automatically understand him. Totally. <laughs> and go along with him. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I think part of that is that he's like, clearly on some level losing his mind throughout this movie like he's talking to himself a lot like you said he's the eat him eat him he's all by himself eat him eat him <laughs> and then like talking and literally laughing to himself and the gnarliest part was the like evil dream go away <laughs> what the fuck was that that wasn't even to himself that was to joan that was the yeah i don't <laughs> it's and he's he's also like it's it's frustrating because he's so close like he's he's self-aware right like he mm -hmm. he catches shepherd in his tricks in the coffee shop it's like oh you're trying to get me and then yeah. five seconds later is about to spill the beans or he know the cop knows the cops are gonna trick it try to trick him the city's all corrupt the cops are all corrupt but then just signs the fucking contract without reading it or like like, you know what I mean? Like, he's self-aware. He says it out loud, but he can't control himself. He's manic. Yeah, he's very manic. I mean, I think that's 
the perfect word to describe his character is manic. He's all over the fucking place, back and forth, back and forth, and yeah. And I, I think that's one of the reasons it's so frustrating is because I consider myself like mildly manic, and I definitely yeah. had time have times where I'm like in a social situation, and so like I feel like I get adrenaline, and then I'm like oh, you shouldn't say that. And then I just hear myself say it. And it's like, so I know, <laughs> but then I do it because I yeah. just talk. And so it's 100%. like, oh God, this, this is, fuck, this is, I hate this. No, stop it. I'm the same um, way. One of the most important, or frustrating things too, is like, he wants to be on top so bad. And he's yeah. so close, but he's so bad at it. I know. And it's like, and also, part of you is kind of rooting for him because you like you know his backstory, and so you're like, and he's like going up against these cops. So you're kind of, even though he's yeah. like kind of a shithead, you're still like, yeah, I want you to get the money. I want you to to get one over on the cops. <laughs> yeah, totally. But then he fucks it up. But he can't even. You're like, it's a scene with like a police commissioner, multiple detectives, cops, his like his lawyers in the next room, and. He has the leverage, mm-hmm. but he literally can't explain himself or sit in a chair. Like, he can't even sit in a chair without <laughs> looking like a freak. And then, like, what is it about this dude where he thinks that playing with his shirt collar every five seconds is going to make him look fancy? Like, everybody else <laughs> has a collar shirt on, bro. Look around the room. Nobody's fucking, like, popping their collar and putting it back down every five seconds and checking their hair in the mirror. You look like a fucking freak, dude. <laughs> You're, nobody's going to take you seriously. You're so close. Just don't do all the stuff. I uh, mean, whenever I'm in a collar shirt, I, I play around with it, too, so... Not like that, dude. Not like that. <laughs> I'm just saying it's because I'm not used to being in a college shirt, and I yeah. bet he isn't either. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. For sure. Yeah, I just think, like, number one rule if you're trying to fit in with a group of people, observe the group of people and act <laughs> like them. Not yeah. that complicated. But he's self-obsessed, so it makes it hard yes. for him to observe people. And also, like we said, he's uh, he he could observe and note that, and then he won't be able to control himself. Yeah, you know. So he, I mean, we already talked about it, but he's such a piece of shit to Joan. Um, mm-hmm. Lies to her, tells her to shut up, orders him to give uh, her to give him a drink. Obviously, has hit her in the past. So yeah, I don't know. He's a cop. And he's destroys a her apartment. Yeah, takes everything out on her apartment which i'm just assuming she pays for and yeah and then when she's like take your things and get out he's like so like surprised that she would say that and it's like so whiny about it yeah it's like she should have said that a while ago yes like (laughs) she put up with him for way too long and then he's like Mm -hmm. i'll come back and get my things and if you don't if if i don't come back soon enough throw them in the incinerator like (laughs) every line that you say to try to make you look better makes you look so much worse (laughs) (laughs) well should we move on to joan since we're talking about her Mm -hmm. i mean what do you think about joan um i wish there was more to her i wish she was uh in the movie more for one and um i wish there was yeah more written to her um yeah yeah she's kind of just there to kind of uh 
be this uh, nice girlfriend that's propped Moriarty up or Quinn up, and she she wants to be able to fix him, and she hopes that she can fix his his ways. And yeah, I mean, she's also I think the moral center, like the contrast between the corrupt cops and him, like show yeah. th- there needs to be a person who like seems like they are bringing up things like the 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 people who are dying or like who are doing good things like giving him good advice trying to heal his leg you know what i mean she's pretty much the only moral character in the movie right is there anybody else who you would say not any main characters no yeah i mean i've written backstories for like the girl <laughs> who hates the window washer creep and stuff like that <laughs> but you know i don't know i don't know for yeah sure. yeah yeah but yeah, she she seems to be like the moral center of the story. She's she wants to turn Quinn into a, a, a better person and and help him get past his past and help help him get past all of his issues. And but then when she sees how corrupted by uh, uh, the power he now wields with his leverage, she's really just disgusted with it and she's not shy about telling him about how disgusted she is with it um totally and yeah she's is the only moral character of the main characters and um i wish there was i i just really wish that there was more to her and i i mean i thought all the acting in this movie is pretty good and candy clark i think did a good job as her yeah and i i mean i feel really bad for her because it she is the moral center and she is strong but it's obvious that she's also like a victim of abuse because oh yeah she buys into his whining like he's being a fucking terror not only in his life in general but to her and then very quickly she's falling into like comforting him and trying to support him and it just sucks that like at the end like he has a turn where he's like saying to Shepard like oh, I'm not going to go back to her till I've turned my life around, you know? But he says it in a way where it's like, I, I got to get a job. Like, I got to contribute yeah. money, and then I'll go back. But it's like, that's not what she cares about. She just doesn't want you to She's... fucking beat her or yeah. kill or... people. <laughs> like, like, Be involved uh... in Diamond Heist. Like... Yeah, totally. <laughs> Think that the Diamond Heist people who hand you a gun and force you to go into the Diamond Heist are your friends. Yeah. She's, she's like clearly willing to like it seems like she's willing to pay for their lives she just wants him to not be horrible and he's like oh i guess i just gotta pay for her lives it's like dude you got yeah. it fucking backwards man <laughs> it's so frustrating and i really just feel bad for her. like i want nothing more at the end of the movie for her to never let him back in mm-hmm. man and she's patient as fuck if somebody talked yeah. to me where I asked them a yes or no question and they're just like a fucking nest and egg ah oh, my butt I walked <laughs> twice I ran twice like I would just tell them you have to leave my house till you can form a sentence I can't handle this I got I could just watch a TV show or like you know pay my bills right now I don't have to listen to this shit I mean to be fair he was in a state he was obviously wounded his sure. his shirt was dirty as fuck he hadn't come home the night before. Totally. That's true, but there's not really a scene where this isn't the thing. But I guess he's going through a lot of uh, monster attacks and uh, mob like fear. So I guess maybe I'm being unfair because I haven't seen him in his normal state. 
mean, she even tries to get him in a job at her bar. I know. What a and he just, hero. like, intentionally sabotages it. I don't think he intentionally did. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Maybe, you could be it, right. It never occurred to me. But I just don't. I don't think we like, could know that for sure. The way he's just kind of, like, horribly scatting and then he's just so accepting just like yeah i knew that was gonna happen when the bartender just like turns on the jukebox like just makes me think like he was just like i don't really give a fuck (laughs) but it's like i i if that was the only scene maybe but the way he plays the piano and does that audition it's perfectly in line with the way he tries to plan the heist with the way that he talks to the cops, the way he talks to the commissioner, like it's just how he does things. And I don't think he's intentionally trying to sabotage himself getting a million dollars, but he treats that meeting just like he treats that fucking interview. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. Let's talk about Shepard. David Carradine, Mr. Kung Fu himself. Mr. Bill. Bill. Bill who was killed. Was he Bill in Kill Bill? Yeah, wasn't he? I don't know. I haven't seen Kill Bill 2 since theaters. I haven't seen it since theaters, too. When I saw it with you. Wow. In theater. Damn, good memory, dude. I don't think I'd even seen the first one at that point. Oh, man. So, Shepard. <laughs> What'd you think of this motherfucker? This bastard? Well, once again, I thought David Carradine did a terrific job. Um, yes. He was definitely more likable than Powell. I'll, I'll give him that. You're canceled. <laughs> you don't think you disagree? He's a cop. I said more likable than a different cop. Oh, <laughs> than said... Powell. I thought you said than Quinn. Yes, he's way more <laughs> likable than Powell. Yeah. <laughs> totally. I was confused for a second. I was like, oh, wow, I must have read it differently <laughs> than you. The shittier cop, the better, because at least they're being honest. That's my <laughs> view. <laughs> I loved how uh, he was just so willing to accept... Not only the existence of uh, this winged serpent, but the, the idea that it was a god. It was just like, yeah. oh yeah, this checks out. <laughs> it's so funny because it's like, he believes it right away. Like, sure they existed to his girlfriend who we never see again. That felt like a weird thing. But um, uh, in, uh, Interesting side note, that was actually his wife. Oh. Yeah, Larry, That's I guess. It's so funny because like... their, their kissing was so awkward. <laughs> well, they did get divorced. and apparently that was in that was shot in larry's bedroom also that's so funny (laughs) it's funny because shepherd's introduced where he's talking about the decapitation and he is like oh i think this happened the guy's like well that doesn't make any sense he's like ah god damn it it's like he doesn't even want to investigate he's like Mm -hmm. against investigating but then and then in the museum he like at first for a second thinks the Quetzalcoatl thing is like absurd and then he's like ah maybe I should take those books and then he's just in he's fully yeah. in to the point where he's willing to risk his job and push back against the main narrative of the department to yeah. to tie this theory and it it does seem a little absurd um, it is very the uh, police the commissioner is just like do it, get rid of this report and he's just like Come on, can't you just suspend your disbelief and yeah. accept that it could be a god? <laughs> it's so weird. Um, he's also very goofy. Like in that in that uh scene with his wife in Larry Cohen's bedroom, he's when he's walking off, I'm pretty sure he says, 
He walks to the bathroom. He's like, I better take my birth control. Pill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand. And then he comes back and he says, give me some bird. Both then, of those lines are just nuts. So like, and then at, at, towards the end of the movie, when, uh, he reveals to Quinn that, um, they reneged on the deal basically. Mm-hmm. And then, um, uh, Quinn says like, you have a tiny brain or something like that. And then, uh, he just turns to him and he just makes bird sounds. Like, yeah. What? <laughs> also, I like that when all the cops are storming the tower to kill the bird, they're all in uniform, but he just has like a leather jacket and leather gloves on. Yeah. Like, and it's just so weird. Like, he goes to the top to unload and then he's like, give me another clip. And it's like, you unloaded all your bullets in five seconds. I don't know. He's just such a fucking weirdo. And then there's um, like, uh, a clearly younger cop and uh, he's just like go get him go get him <laughs> like puts he's his arm so around cavalier. Like, yeah. <laughs> and that cop i think is one of the ones that dies <laughs> i thought so i wasn't sure and then like he's just so fucking cavalier he's like oh come on yeah he's like happy he doesn't give a fuck yeah. killing cops left and right like through his his orders and then that's why he like doesn't notice the head almost eat him and he's like oh i'm yeah. good okay it's which so is particularly it's all particularly hilarious that he's the one that's like the least scared when he's the one that believes that this is a god. <laughs> like, yeah. All the other ones are just like this. I don't know this... if he believes it's a god. I, I, he, he keeps saying that it might be a god. It might be a monster. Both the academics that he or the the second academic he's talking to is saying that he thinks they're just monsters. Mm-hmm. Um. So he's like, I gotta learn if I I gotta kill it to see if it's a god. You know. You're. Right, I believe, but I mean, he feels like it might be a god. I guess. When that has not crossed any of these other cops' minds who are terrified <laughs> no. of the situation. Yes. But who are praying. <laughs> yes. Um, he believes very much that it could be a possibility it's a god. But sure. it could be a monster. And yeah, um, him and Powell both are uh, pretty adamant about not only mocking Quinn, but playing good cop to get what they want out of Quinn. Mm-hmm. Um, he's way better at it than Powell, but yeah, Powell I don't know. sucks it, at it. Powell's horrible yeah. at it, <laughs> but it, it just comes off so dark to me. Um, yeah, like that's, he just, he doesn't give a fuck. And like, I don't give a fuck about Quinn either. So I get it. But like, yeah, it's, I mean, he's a goofy guy, but in the end he's a piece of shit cop, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. But he looks good. He looks good. Good looking man. Good job, Carradine. And, I mean, it is admirable how he's willing to push back against the police narrative. Like, the police are like, whatever evidence we find is going to fit our story. These two things aren't connected. And he's like, we need to connect these things. And that is, to a small degree, admirable. That is very funny, the idea of a cop uh, submitting a report that's like, well... (laughs) I think we have a god. We might have a god flying around, summoned an Aztec god, summoned from a ritual sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> what one one thing I have to give him credit for is he did way more research on Quetzalcoatl for his yeah. report than I did for this podcast. <laughs> he did more than read the Wikipedia page. Like, That's very true. <laughs> which, Powell. Should we talk about Powell? Yeah, real shithead. Pain in the ass. Yeah, he's a dick to Shepard. Shepard's a dick to him, too. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, 
I or, wrote, sorry, sorry, he's a dick to Quinn, and Quinn's a dick. He's to also a dick to to Shepard. The two of them, oh, yeah. the two of True. them argue throughout the entire movie, and uh, I wrote down like you gotta love that cop infighting, especially over a monster. <laughs> Hell yeah! But he dies quick. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it's kind of an unexpected death scene. I I wasn't really expecting him to die. Um, Definitely, and that kind of comes out of nowhere. Like they're not even like part of the crew that's attacking um the the nest area uh he's chasing after the the yeah the the high priest which yeah i mean i think it does tie in it might not be expected at the moment but i think it does there's there's a thing going on with the movie where there's hints that q the winged serpent is following the high priest and i think this is one of our indicators Okay. Um, because they're following the high priest, and they get attacked by Q. And there's quite a few other hints, um, that I'll uh, maybe bring up later if it makes sense. That where uh, whatever's happening to the high priest, Q is actually following and kind of connected to him. I mean, that would make sense, uh, since the high priest did summon Q. Um, well, we don't know that. Uh, yeah, he might have. It's... I mean, how could he not have? I guess is my question. Let's get to that later. Okay. <laughs> some 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 uh suspense and then we'll just like in in 45 minutes I'll just be like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> All right, but yeah, Pal is just a real piece of shit throughout the entire movie. Um he makes uh jokes about prison rape to to Quinn um when Shepard is actually doing diligent police work, he's just like Oh, you're fucking crazy. You're a fucking idiot. Um, yeah. He, he just, throughout the entire movie, he's just a shitbag. <laughs> he's a total shitbag. Yeah. I will say, like, Quinn's a total shitbag to him. He says, like, the, the gnarliest line of the movie, which is like, uh, you black cops are the worst of them all or something. Yeah, like, you black um, cops are worse than the white ones or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and then his response is like, yeah, we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so fucking intense. But must be gnarly to be a black cop in New York City in 1982. So I don't fucking know. I mean, obviously they're bastards. All of them are mm. bastards. But I don't know how I would have responded to that line. And he'd be like, "No, we're not. We're well, good at being cops." The fact that you can picture yourself as being a cop uh, says a lot. I'm just saying I can't. But you're the saying fact that you can picture me picturing myself is the real issue we got to dive. <laughs> podcast over <laughs> um i didn't know his name was powell till i looked it up i thought people were calling him pal and then i thought oh no no it's paul and i wrote paul for all of my notes and then i looked it up it's like oh it's pal <laughs> uh should we move on to talk about the high priest sure i'm i don't really have anything to say about him i mean it's it's I don't know. It's more, I guess it's less of a character stuff and just story stuff, but it's, it's interesting that, um, they keep talking about Q, the winged serpent as being feathered and then he's wearing feathers, but Q doesn't have feathers. And then during the rituals, he talks as if he is Q. It's always first person. You can't kill him. Maybe he's, maybe he's a god. Yeah, that is funny how they're like, this guy does not die easily. <laughs> yeah. um, and 
I mean, I guess this is just when I was going to bring it up, but I, I think that throughout there's like, there's shots of him running and then the shadow of the bird is there or he'll show up somewhere and we'll see, or not the bird, but, um, uh, Q. Like, I just think that there, yeah, there is a connection between them in some way that's shown. It could be coincidental, but it seems like there is. The weirdest thing to me was that he had that big fake looking knife for the first sacrifices. But then they're mm-hmm. like, find a medical student. It's got to be somebody with a scalpel. And then in the next scene, he has a scalpel. But I didn't notice that. That's that's funny. Yeah, you know the big knife he uses? Yeah, yeah, thing? yeah. It just disappears and he uses a scalpel on the on the later ones. Or at least one. And it's like... Well, the later ones, he was taking out the heart, right? In the oh, first ones, yeah. he was just skinning them. So maybe okay. it was a skinning blade versus a heart-removing blade. I like it. That makes sense. Um, yeah. I was about to say that that blade seems pretty fucking big for skinning, <laughs> but <laughs> the carcass, the animal, the dead, the cooked animal that they're skinning or flying uh-huh. in the first scene, they're doing with a fucking butcher's knife. Like, yeah. not like, like it's like a fucking cleaver and they're <laughs> skinning it with it, which makes no sense. So I guess that's just uh consistent in the movie. Yeah. So I guess the weirdest thing to me about the high priest is that. There's this mystery set up where it's like, oh, they're not being like murdered because they're going willingly. Right. And then they're like, why would this tenured professor go all the way to New York just to sacrifice himself? He has a wife and daughter. And it sets up this mystery that the first time watching, I expected that to be the mystery of the film. Mm -hmm. And it's never explained at all. Yeah, uh, that would have been nice if they went more into that. uh... I guess we're supposed to believe, hey, he's a professor, he's smart, he knows about this kind of stuff, so he wants... Yeah, it's not explained at all. And, like, (laughs) the weirdest part is, like, Quinn at the end is his last victim, like, would-be victim, right? Uh Uh-huh. But the way he tries to convince Quinn is he's he's just like... Say the prayer. <laughs> say it. Say it. And, the, and Quinn, the weakest man you or I have ever witnessed in our lives, is just like, no. And hey. that's it. And I'm like, is this how he got all the people to do it? Like, it just, that to me is the biggest hole in the movie where I'm like, I don't get how, like, that was an interesting question I had. And you, you like, not only don't answer it, you make me be like, was that a question? Wait, what's happening? Well, that could be a... The last scene with Queen could be an act of desperation, like right? They've uh, mm. they've killed the the beast. He summoned that they killed the beast. He summons the baby, at least one of the babies, and now he's just like losing his losing his shit, and he's just like, I'm gonna get this fucking guy, but also I want to make him a you know, sac- I want to make him a sacrifice. So I can still. Get it. I mean, it could just be, yeah, an act of desperation. That makes total sense. I, I just think it would be a lot of a stronger character arc for Quinn, like defying him, if we mm. had some example of how he persuaded the others and then Quinn defying it. And like for instead, sure. it just feels very empty. And well, Quinn does. Quinn does point out. I never said prayer for my. Uh, priest and i never said prayer when the cops told me to, to pray and i'm not gonna say a prayer now totally. so uh, he, he's always had bravery against prayers 
That's one thing we could say. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Just like how I uh, always just mouthed under God during the Pledge of Allegiance as my, like, <laughs> fuck you to society during middle school. <laughs> Quinn, Quinn was the same. He was just as fucking brave as me. I remember one time me and, um, I think, Max, we were walking in between classes. We were late to class, and uh, the Pledge of Allegiance was going on, and we were walking during it and then some teacher saw us and she came out and screamed at us and told us that we were disrespecting the troops and oh how, dude like, i wonder which teacher it was because i saw this one teacher do that all the time and it's who i'm picturing oh man <laughs> bootlicker yeah and she's like talking about how like we if she ever saw us do that again she would report us to the principal or something like that it's so crazy yeah <laughs> So yeah, uh, High Priest, he doesn't die easily, I'll give him that. Yeah, um, because he's Q himself. Mm. And uh, the Winged Serpent the is just his... <laughs> I don't think Q owns 4chan, but... There's theories that the owner of 4chan or 8chan is Q to like, really? traffic. Yeah, I forget. But there's also this new documentary out on Hulu... I shouldn't date these things by saying new because we record them so far ahead of time, but where it seems like it might be this one Taiwanese guy. So who fucking knows? But yeah, the, I think the, the head of the owner of eight chan or four chan went to court to talk about Q and he, or to talk about four chan or eight chan and he wore a Q pin on his lapel. Well, that's as at all. <laughs> I still think Trump is Q yeah. and he's still, he's still our legally our president. <laughs> I mean, obviously, <laughs> Speaking of which, should we move into politics, messaging, and themes? Oh, um, the one other thing about other characters, uh, I wanted to bring up that that the last character that was being sacrificed when the cops moved in during the sacrifice was actually Bruce Carradine, David Carradine's brother, or one of oh, his brothers. Nice. That was yeah. the one where he stood up and the cop just like shot him. Shot him. And then was yep. like, he was coming right at me. He was coming right at me. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> too real too fucking real <laughs> all right politics messages and themes okay so obviously this movie is a lot about power as we brought up earlier joan is like i used to think that oh you were down on your luck you'd had such a hard life like i could forgive everything paraphrasing that's not even close to what she says but but then i saw what happened when you had a little bit of power and uh and that's like basically that's the reason she leaves him, right? Is because she sees mm. what happens when he's when he's when he's higher up on the on the hierarchy. Yeah. And so I think like the depictions of cops and the government and that just I I feel like that's a big part of what this movie is about. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, especially in uh Jimmy's character, we see him as being really sniveling throughout, and then he has leverage and um and he just like does not care about other people dying, which, you know, you, you get his position to some extent where it's like, if I give you this information, I'm, you're still just going to send me to jail. So I need to build some leverage out of it. But on the, in the same token, he just doesn't really care that that negatively affects uh, people that are going to die from his decision. Yeah, I mean, it sucks because he's a victim of these fucked up systems of mm. the law enforcement system, the justice system has treated him like shit. But 
in trying to then get a leg up and 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 gain some power he's doing the exact same things that he's mad at them for doing he's trying to trample people and fuck over people for his own gain which is exactly what he's upset about the cops doing and it just sucks it's like i get why that's the only option that capitalism gives you but Mm. also it sucks (laughs) like yeah (laughs) and you he not only is it's not like he's self-aware enough to be like this is the wrong thing to do, but it's my only chance. He kind of feels good about it. He's like, I'm the most important man in New York. Like he's convincing himself that it's, it's okay. And and maybe even good. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like a lot of this movie is about what like the prison system and like drug addiction does to a person. Cause he's like a junkie and he went to prison and he has that line where he's like, maybe I'm an institutionalized person. Maybe I belong inside. Maybe I can't make it outside. And then we have the flip side of that, right? Where we have Powell, who's like, that's why you guys always go back. You like the treatment. Yeah. Which is so fucked up because that's so, like, real. Like, so many people in prison think, oh, this is just what I deserve. And I, I can't I can't function in the real world not thinking that, like, prison's what made them that way. And then so many cops, like, are like, oh, like, this is proof that you were always meant to be a criminal because you keep going back. And it's like, no, prison turned them into... You turned them into that, you fucking asshole. Like, you're well, making your own proof. I thought Powell was making a prison rape joke that he likes the treatment that you get in prison. That's why you want to go back because you like that treatment. That's possible. That's not how I read it. But I think either way, the, the result is the same. Either way, it's completely fucked up. Oh, it's uh-huh. fucked. And both of them are like, oh, you like that. And it's like, no, you've just taken away all their options. They don't know yeah. who they are now. They don't know what that's, they feel worthless. That's the system that they were forced into. I mean, yeah. literally, literally with this case and where he was originally put in on a bullshit charge that was planted on him. Um Totally, which and I think was supposed to be what happened. But uh-huh. it is so frustrating that the only knowledge we have of anything about Jimmy's past, him growing up on the street, the drug being planted on him, are from a guy that we can tell from the first scene is a liar. Yeah. Um, so it is a little bit like, uh, but I don't think <laughs> there's any evidence in the movie that that's supposed to be not true. I fully buy that that's what happened. Yeah, me too. So I feel like one really cool thing this movie did was very explicitly draw parallels between the cops and the criminals. We've talked about some rhyming stuff before in this movie, but like, did you notice the similarities between the heist scene and the raid of the Chrysler building? Nope. So in the heist scene at the Diamond Place, right? At the last second, they changed the terms with Jimmy Quinn, right? And then they hand him a gun. Mm -hmm. And in the Chrysler building, the cops do the exact same thing. They they have this whole plan they made. And then they're like, you have to go up first. You have to go up first. And just like, you have to go in the diamond store. You have to go in the diamond. And he's like, no, I just gave you the location. They're like, no, too bad. You got to go. And then they (laughs) hand him a gun. And he's like, why is everybody handing me revolvers? (laughs) Um, And it's literally a mirrored shot, like like a a point by point mirror between the heist scene and that. And I think that's like very clearly to show parallels between the cops and the criminals. And the criminals. Yeah, the, you're treating people yeah. exactly the same as the people that you're locking up as cops. Yeah, I definitely didn't uh, notice that while watching, but that 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 makes sense now that you point that out. Um, 
And in both instances, Jimmy runs and he loses the money. He loses the diamonds. He loses the government payout. Like it's exact, dude. Like this, that was very well thought out for such a quickly written movie by Larry Cohen. I'm very impressed with that. (laughs) Which, man, fuck the cops for that that bullshit on reneging on the deal <laughs> that made me so yeah. sad even though i don't like quinn i'm still just like oh come on yeah totally i mean there's a part of me who was like how did you not read it it should say yeah. i will give you the information on where the nest is that's it you yeah you need me so i'll do it like, but i almost it made wait, me don't you like have this... a lawyer to do that like why why is your why did your lawyer not do that it what made me fuck? feel like the lawyer was crooked or something oh, maybe yeah. I don't think that was meant like it doesn't seem that complex, but it was just like, Are you fucking kidding me? Like <laughs> what the fuck? That seems like such a stupid loophole. And obviously they should have done the thing with the circus tent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Made sense to me. <laughs> it was so funny that he thought that was gonna work. <laughs> I also like how he's like why don't you throw the circus time on on uh first? And it's like, how do you even know that the cue was in there in the first place? Yeah, like, no, it, none of it made any sense. <laughs> so funny. He's so bad at that. So yeah, I mean, not just that one scene, but in general, we just hear about the cops breaking the law a lot, right? Like the commissioner mm. wants to hide a possible connection between two crimes. And he's like, no matter what evidence you find, they're separate. I don't care. They're separate. They plant yeah. drugs on Quinn. Like, it just seems like, like Larry Cohen's trying to be like cops are criminals. That's it. Yeah. And also, uh, when, um, when Quinn says like, when Powell's like interrogating him, it's like, uh, you better make this statement. And Quinn says something like, I wanted to speak. I'm going to speak to my attorney. I'm not making a statement. And then Powell says something like, Constitution doesn't matter when you're in jail or something like that. Yeah. It's just like this cops should really not be saying that. <laughs> yeah, you're just admitting they're constantly just admitting how fucking crooked they are. Yeah. <laughs> uh and then yeah, I, I think it just uh the movie slightly points out that these things aren't just between cops and criminals. It's not just the justice system, it's the whole fucking system. Um you mentioned in, in your synopsis that he wants a Nixon pardon. And yeah, he, it's so funny that he's like, didn't Ford pardon Nixon for anything and everything, but he doesn't, he can make, he has the historical reference. He has the fact that it's possible, but he can't connect that. That means he's saying he's Nixon. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. like he's, <laughs> he doesn't get that he's painting himself as the bad guy all the time. <laughs> And then uh, also, murderers and crooked politicians have done that. Why not me? And so you're pointing out these parallels between yes. politicians and murderers. But then you're also saying, like, like I could just hear Joan being like, why would you want to be like a murderer and politician? Like, don't you want to be something else? I think he just fully accepts that he's a piece of shit. He's uh, just, yeah. He just completely recognizes that. I don't know. He also says he's never paid taxes in his life. So how could he be a piece of shit? <laughs> I love that. He goes, I want a million dollars on uh, not taxed. I've never paid taxes in my life. I'm not about to start now. <laughs> to the police. Yeah. Such a funny line. Such a dumbass. <laughs> and yeah, he has that great line. Cops tell me to say my prayers. I've eaten shit from you. I've eaten shit from City Hall. Just like 
the the religious people, the cops, city hall, it's all the same. It's all fuck yeah. you, Jimmy Quinn, you know? Yeah, he's been stepped on his entire life. Yeah. Which is why when he finally finds a bit of leverage, he just goes fucking power hungry. Totally. And it's it, it's also why, despite him being a horrible piece of shit, I like am rooting for him a little yeah. bit in scenes with the cops because you're like... Yeah, I identify with that a lot more than anything fucking Powell said, you know? Yeah, 100%. So, uh, what do you think Larry Cohen thinks about cops? Uh, well, I think he's, uh, a not-all-cops-are-bad kind of guy. Okay, that makes sense. But he's at least critical. Like, No, no, he's definitely critical. Um, So, like, I pointed out in the commentary, he mentioned how the a lot of the cops in the movie were just off-duty cops that he hired. And he was like, because they all had their uniform and uh, and then they could get an extra paycheck and they deserved it. And I was like, Oof. ugh. Um, but we're also yeah. talking about the guy we're also talking about the guy who wrote the three Maniac Cop movies. Um, oh. And in one of the, um, which is about like a murdering cop who comes back from the dead to, he was a corrupt cop when he was alive and he comes back from the dead to murder people um anyways uh yeah uh and in one of the interviews with him on um i think it was the shockwaves podcast he points out like it's like a lot of his early movies had to do like his first movie was uh bone which had to do with um racial relations uh and he talks about how like you know that stuff's so uh, even more relevant today especially you know you, you see all this stuff happening and like with cops and stuff and uh he brings up Maniac Cop, and he's like, because he talks about how one of his favorite themes is just turning, taking things that people are comfortable, uh, feel that are they are benevolent, and turning them on his head. And he talks about the Maniac Cop, and he's like, well, I guess that wouldn't seem like you're really turning things on his head uh, in today's age. Interesting. Um, so, like, he's definitely, he definitely is not, like, full-on Blue Lives Matter. Um, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, he's critical of cops for sure. But Blue Lives deserve a little extra paycheck. Um, <laughs> I think I mean, it's yeah, just I, some Blue Lives Matter, I think, is maybe totally. his perspective. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I, I got the vibe that he was at least mocking cops. Like, he seems mm. like the kind of director from the little I've listened to about him in the one movie I've seen who, like, has pretty interesting, like, critiques. Um, mm. And at the very least is willing to mock things like racist people or cops or sexist people um, oh yeah that's the vibe i get yeah i mean and if you watch uh black caesar which i think was the second movie like that whole thing is just like um corrupt cops it's also about power corrupting uh in terms of the okay black caesar um but yeah uh, the black caesar is going up a bunch of corrupt cops uh as well so um interesting it, it, yeah because, like, in this one, I mean, we've already mentioned the things here, but, like, there, there's just a lot of things that seem like he's willing to mock cops. The cops dying are all funny. They're all, like, screaming <laughs> and falling and, like, kind of stretching. Um, there's the cop in an actual clown or mime outfit who literally, like, takes the money that he got. Like, it's just, it's just so funny that he, like like, is spanging and then it's just like, oh, shit, I didn't make much today. It's like these fucking petty cops. Yeah, he um, definitely has um 
not cops specifically, but he has a distaste for people in power. And yeah. so I obviously cops are going to fall into that perspective. Totally. And then, yeah, the, he was coming for me. He was coming for me. It's like, mm. it, it reminds me of um, the fucking season one, I think, of South Park. Uh, they were coming <laughs> right for us. <laughs> like, it's just yeah. like, you look like a fucking idiot. Like, this dude with no weapon and no shirt was running at you, an armed fucking man whose job it should be to be able to subdue people. And you had to shoot him. Yeah. Was that the was that the cop with the mustache that shot? Or was that... I remember him having curly hair. I can't remember if he had a mustache. I, I think or that like might have been. Hair. Did he show up throughout the movie? I think like in the so. background? I can't remember. So that guy, he's actually... If that's who I'm thinking of, it's uh, James Dixon. And uh, he's in every one of Larry Cohen's movies. Um, oh. Often as a cop. Because I watched Black Caesar... And then Q, and then the ambulance, and he was a cop in every single one of them. Damn, the ambulance <laughs> sounds interesting. I just heard about that one. It, it's 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 uh not one of my favorite ones of his, but it's a fun movie to watch. It's I I like it. Cool. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think that was the same character because I think the the actor I was just talking about, who's in every Larry Cohen movie, I think he was back uh at the the Chrysler Building at that point. Okay. I was just for a second I was thinking he was the guy that shot him and then I remembered that he was he was actually part of the cop scene in the Chrysler building. So totally. Have been. Cool, cool, cool. That makes sense. You good moving on from the power and stuff? Yeah. Like, yeah, so another theme that I think is in this is like masculinity or like toxic masculinity, you know? Uh I mean the the character that pops out, I mean, I feel like we've discussed it throughout this is uh um Quinn. Like, he talks about how, you know, how he's afraid of everything, just not hide. So, I pointed out earlier how he was whine, uh, whining about how he had to run twice uh, in the day. And, uh, you know, when he finally has leverage, he feels like a big man. And he feels like he finally has something that makes him a man. And he can kind of finally assert himself. And I feel like that all ties into the idea of toxic masculinity and that he can't cry because uh he's supposed to be a man yeah totally i think that's a big one because not only does he say like he's like i just want to cry i haven't cried since i'm a kid and she's like it's okay you can cry Mm. and he's like no i'm supposed to be a man i don't know what i'm supposed to be and then he starts whining and it's like not only does he feel like he's supposed to be manly but like he feels like that's the entirety of of his identity because he's a man it's like, yeah. if I can't be a man, I'm nothing, um, which is just so funny because, first of all, he already is a man. And second of all, you're like awesome as fuck, hot and supportive lover is telling you it's OK <laughs> to cry. And you're like, I can't because I'm supposed to be this certain way so that chicks dig me. And then it's like, uh-huh. but she's telling you right now, like, I would like you a lot better if you weren't yeah. an asshole. I would dig you. I would <laughs> dig you more. Yeah. If you cried. It's like, how about more crying, less smashing all of my shit? Um, <laughs> yeah. Less uh, me being afraid you're going to fucking hit me again. Yeah, literally. And like, like, I mean, she's like, oh, at least you're not hitting me this time. It's like, man, like, I feel like in the 80s that would have seemed bad. But now it seems like, and obviously it's always been bad. But just the way we look at things now. And now it's like, yeah, we you need to get out of there immediately. Like, you can't, no one can ever hit anyone. That's not an okay thing. And 
it's so intense that he like responds to things like that by like whining and acting like he's the victim. It's like, this isn't about manliness. If you're going to just be like, Oh, but uh, uh, uh," after it's like, this is just all a fucking play to be able to do whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just the masculinity in this movie from the cops to Quinn to the criminal, they all just suck. And then uh, the movie starts with two creeps like there's the creepy dude at the window there's a creepy dude with binoculars binoculars yeah men suck dude i don't think you suck oh thanks well yeah i mean i i I don't know that the theme of masculinity in this is is divorced from the themes of like the critiques of society and stuff i just thought it was it's so in your face with how a piece of shit he is and as we said earlier, the fact that, like, at the end, he doesn't seem to get, like, oh, I should just, like, be honest about my feelings and be supportive and sweet to my lover. He's like, oh, I should, I should, I'll have a job next time before I see Joan. It's like, oh, you're just buying into the patriarchy again. You think your job is just, should be breadwinner and you yeah. can still just be a piece of shit. Yeah. Thank you. She doesn't care about your goddamn job. She just cares about you being a better person. Yeah. And yeah. On the flip side to all this, we have Shepard who takes birth control so his wife doesn't have to, which is really sweet. That is very sensitive. <laughs> I didn't know they had male birth control, you know, before they even do now here. Hey. But pretty cool. That's what I've done for all my lady friends. I said, you don't worry about it. I got it covered. I don't want more details. Um, <laughs> I just wonder, like, Okay, I know that I take, I have a problem where I take things too literally. And I I take things at face value and I take things as like being important when they're not. But that line of, I gotta go take my birth control now, which was probably a joke. I immediately took as, oh, that's supposed to be a sign that this is an alternate universe. (laughs) What? (laughs) Like my thinking was like, oh, they're trying to show... That this is a place that has male birth control. And I knew I was wrong, but that was my knee-jerk reaction. I think there's something wrong with your brain if that's your knee-jerk reaction. I fully agree. I was like, oh, this is a, <laughs> this is a universe that has male birth control in New York City in 1982. So it must be a different universe. <laughs> I admitted Maybe to he just away. went in there. Yeah, maybe he went in the bathroom and he just operated on himself and made a little snip. And then no, no, he just like, took a right, pill. Good to go. <laughs> he took a pill. He just got. He's got the little, uh, the little circle with the with all the pills for the month. You know, they change colors for when it's just sugar. He's just doing it. <laughs> That's, I'm not making this up, by the way. This is what I thought. I don't know. If I can keep doing this podcast with you because <laughs> apparently. You're fucking insane. But I also picked up on some cool symbolism that you didn't. So, like, yeah, he... but now I'm second guessing all that. <laughs> like, I'm gonna have to go over all that symbolism when I'm sober. Maybe I won't think it's as well thought out. <laughs> uh, tough crowd in here. All right, Colin Quinn. Colin Quinn. He did show tough crowd on Comedy Central. I'm putting in cricket um, uh, uh, sound effects right now in the yeah. edit. Do you know who Colin Quinn is? Yeah, I can picture his dumb face. He's fine. He seems fine. I think he is. 
I don't really know much. I think he's slightly conservative, slightly reactionary. Burn him. Where's he? Li- where's but, his grave? I think he's alive. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We just have this weird theme now of grave, uh, exhuming graves. Speaking of exhuming graves, religion as a theme. <laughs> hmm. Very interesting. Uh, yes. Obviously, all of our listeners know that you and I are amateur cryptozoologists. You're not. I am. You're the one who talks about how Nessie doesn't exist. Disagree on Nessie, which, by the way, we've talked about Nessie and Kropotkin on two thirds of the episodes, and it's getting out of hand. uh, Other cryptids, there are other theorists. We're about to pivot because we're not getting enough downloads. So we're going to pivot to a Kropotkin slash uh, Loch Ness Monster podcast. The Conquest of Lakes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so religion. I, I, As cryptozoologists, I think it's uh, fair to say that the Aztec and Mesoamerican in general religions are not our expertise, Charlie. Yeah, we can agree to disagree. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, luckily in this movie, we have two white academic men explaining Aztec <laughs> beliefs to us. <laughs> so that makes it easier. I mean, I do feel like there's uh, probably like plenty of professor expertises on the subject that are white academic men uh, in New York City, right? I, I, uh, that just... That like, I mean, I get what you're saying, that, that, uh... The experts on this should not be white men, but I do feel like there's plenty of like professors, white professors who are just like get obsessed with that type of shit, right? Am I wrong? Yes, but I just think inherently their perspective is going to be weirdly skewed, as we see from oh, both of, of them, course, especially that the second one is just like kill it and then give me the body. I want the money. One hundred percent. But so I guess it's just I'm just saying that. uh the essence of the actual information might be lost through the lens that we're getting it through. That's all. Okay. I get you. Um, Yeah. So it starts with the museum, dude. David Carradine goes to a museum as the Kung Fu master does and talks to the museum, dude. He talks about how there has to be a willing sacrifice. Objects are used to symbolize cosmic events and blood sacrifices used to strengthen the forces of nature. Maybe I'm looking too far into it. If so, I blame the Kratom, but I feel like this is like a weird meta thing, like, or uh, describing the plot of the movie, like objects are used to symbolize cosmic events. We have the objects going from one scene to another, showing connections between the scenes, the head, the balloon, the head, the balloon, the head, the balloon. We have blood sacrifice to strengthen the force of nature. What happens when you're strengthened? You get swole. We find out Quetzalcoatl is getting bigger every scene. Damn, dude. Charlie, you're buff right now. Charlie's flexing for me, and I am... <laughs> Holy shit. Did Woo! around 350 push-ups today. Talking about masculinity. Woo! <laughs> um, 350 push-ups today? I did either 7 or 8 sets of 50. Holy fucking shit. I'm so I'm glad you're still on that. That's awesome. Yeah, and then I also did uh, exercises with... Um, dumbbells also damn dude i did 15 push-ups two weeks ago and i'm still patting myself on the back (laughs) which is hard because my biceps are so big i can barely reach am i right yeah Um, anyway yeah what do you think i mean i thought it was kind of weird there's a lot of things in this movie that 
not a ton, but where they set something up and then it doesn't fully get fleshed out like that mystery, you know, like, why did the tenured professor come all the way here to do this? I thought we were going to get an answer to that. I thought that was going to be an intriguing thread and it disappears. I, I fucking love this movie. There's just a few minor complaints like that. And this, like the museum guy introduces all these ideas of how the sacrifices work, how Q might work, and they kind of don't feel like they get brought up again or, or actually addressed. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I would have liked them to address more of this stuff. Kind of brought it more all to a home. That definitely would have been nice. But uh, that's not the way Larry decided to do it. Totally. Um, he was going in a different direction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is a fucking mess. <laughs> <laughs> In the commentary, Larry says that um, one of the influences was he was looking at, well, first of all, he thought that the uh, Chrysler building was more, was a better building than Empire State Building, so it deserved its own monster. Um, Now that that has anything to do with religion, but I wanted to throw that in there. Um, uh, I mean, the religion of capitalism agrees. I mean, (laughs) it's involved. But in terms of religion, he said... One of his influences was uh, envisioning the city like a thousand years later after a huge uh, disaster took place and they're uncovering New York City and they find buildings like the Chrysler Building and they would assume that they were kind of uh, religious uh, uh, buildings of worship, especially with the Chrysler Building because it has like structures of uh, birds on it and stuff like that. That makes so much sense. He thought that was a cool kind of um, similarity with Q, um, with the the wing serpent. Yeah, I mean, I one thing that this this movie did that I I didn't know how to take was um, the focus on the smaller Statue of Liberty on top of that building. They mm. like spend a lot of time, like they show three different shots and three different parts focusing on it. They have somebody explain the history of it. And I was like, how does this tie into the themes? Are you trying to say like liberty is being treated like a uh, religion or is being commodified like 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 other things are? But it, it makes sense to me if he's focusing on like architecture in a post apocalyptic situation, like what would be seen as like divine i think that the statue of liberty for sure would be you know yeah 100 percent, it would be yeah because other than that i can't i don't know why they focus so much on that i mean also i think also because it's just a a cool factor of new york city that he was able to to film at boring <laughs> no i hear you <laughs> yeah um also another part of the religion aspect is uh I just thought it was neat um, when Shepard's talking to the second professor, museum guy. I don't know exactly what he was. Uh, I call him other academic. Um, yeah, when Shepard's talking to other ap- academic and uh, other academic says like, you know, uh, it, it, or, or Shepard uh, displays, you know, like he's confused, like why this this uh, serpent would be a god and uh, the other academic says uh you know we uh we've spent all this time um building it up god and our we've made him in our own image having him two legs two arms lips the human face but like why does that necessarily have to be god basically is what he's saying like that's yeah. just what humans 
want to make God into a human, but that doesn't really make, that doesn't fully make sense. Yeah. Which I don't want to spoil things, but this kind of theme also goes into uh, God Told Me To. For sure. Don't want to spoil things. People should go see that movie. It rules. Um, that that other academic guy also says, um, it, it's interesting. It, it's kind of like he just throws out a bunch of ideas, like he hasn't settled on one, because he says what you said. He says, um, the figure of the serpent shows up throughout history. Maybe at one point the world was covered in these things, and then people just started mm. seeing them as a god, but really they're just kind of a creature. He also yeah. says, what else is God but an invisible force that we fear? Which is a very Christianish thing because we're talking about a fucking winged serpent eating people that's not invisible at all. Um, <laughs> but then it's interesting that that academic who who seems to have this knowledge immediately jumps into an idea of commodifying God or this monster in a way that even Shepard pushes back against. He's talking about if you kill him, please let me know, let me have him. And Shepard says, oh, God stuffed and mounted, um, which to me seemed like a callback to things like King Kong, Mothra, Jurassic Park of like, we have this wonder of nature and you just want to sell it. Jurassic Park would not be a callback, but go ahead. Time doesn't exist, Charlie. <laughs> I don't know when the novel was written. So it was not maybe. 1982. You're absolutely right. It's not a callback to <laughs> Jurassic Park. But I always think of Jurassic Park as a callback to things like King Kong and Mothra. So yeah, <laughs> it makes sense. But yes, you're right. But yeah, especially I, when I say Mothra, I mostly mean Mothra versus Godzilla. There's, it's very much about a giant egg. How can we sell tickets for people to see this giant egg? Kind of like... This fucking winged serpent has a giant egg. We want to sell fucking display of this dead body if we get it, you know? Mm -hmm. It was also interesting for a movie about a literal Aztec god how much Christianity came up. Do you know what I'm talking about? Not really. So uh, what I mean is like um, there was, I think as Powell says like, or maybe it's a different cop says, luckily all we have to do nowadays is take the wafer and drink the wine. That's what I call, that's what I call being civilized. <laughs> saying like oh you don't have to go through this whole ritual of having your heart ripped out yeah by a high priest we just eat the pretend body of christ and drink his pretend blood it's, it's super civilized and then also uh there's a cop who in the tower before they fight the fucking aztec god supposedly does the like i forget what it's called it's like the cross on your chest mm. thing um obviously super knowledgeable about this stuff um, and then Shepard to another cop says, you want, you want to say a prayer uh, to the young cop that you mentioned earlier that he sends off. So it's like this whole idea of like they're praying to a different God while fighting this yeah. God, which is pretty fucking wild. It's funny. Uh, in the documentary, King Cohen, Joe Dante, who's the director of like uh, Gremlins, Gremlins 2, have you ever heard of it? Um the I didn't realize the director of Gremlins 2 is the director of Gremlins. That's awesome. Did you not know that? No, I always thought because Gremlins 2 is considered kind of a standout, like, way more awesome movie in certain ways. So I, I didn't realize yeah. it was the same guy. I thought it was like a reinterpretation. Well, the reason for that is, uh, so Joe Dante, for one, one of his huge influences, like Looney Tunes. He actually did a Looney Tunes movie. But he made the first Gremlins, and that was a huge moneymaker. So they came back to him, and they're like, let's make... Uh, we want to make Gremlins 2. And he's like, I'll only make Gremlins 2 if you give me complete creative control. Oh. Like, sure. And then he just went 
fucking wild with it and he was like making fun of the idea of sequels he just went full on looney tunes yeah. in some aspects and he was making fun of some of the principles of the first movie and nice. they were like this was a mistake letting you do this <laughs> yeah uh but yeah joe dante um in the documentary king cohen he he refers to uh god told me to as a movie about catholic guilt as made by a jew um, <laughs> and i feel like yeah our uh, our discussion of uh religion these these people going through these uh religious kind of these christian um moves kind of also applies to that hell yeah totally totally um and then also we have the idea of perfect for our podcast monsters versus gods what's a god what's a monster Mm -hmm. um shepherd as we mentioned says wouldn't be the first time a monster was mistaken for a god that's why i have to kill it if it if i kill it it's not a god yeah i mean i feel like that's an interesting theme like what's a monster what's a god right yeah i mean i guess the at least in the minds of in the mind of this movie the different factor would be whether or not it's immortal yeah so i'm i i referenced this 17 hours ago when we started recording but um <laughs> according to the logic of this movie of shepherd who seems to be one of the most logical and aware people in the movie right we, we he's the one who's understanding what's happening and willing to break through everybody else's bullshit if it dies it's not a god right i guess so q dies so According to that logic, I'm not saying it's true, but according to that logic, Q is not Quetzalcoatl. It's just a monster. So if that's true, in my mind, Q isn't Q. Q's just a beast. It has a different name. We don't know its name, which is part of the reason I feel like the movie was sometimes called Q the Winged Serpent, but sometimes just called Q because Q might just be for Quinn. And in that case, was Quinn a monster because he was trying to be a god? Quinn's spending the whole movie trying to be the most important person in New York, trying to be this powerful thing, trying to have leverage over people, but it all of it turns him into a monster. Is Q the winged serpent? Is Quinn the winged serpent? <laughs> yes, that is how that is how bad my idea was. <laughs> I wasn't trying to say that. <laughs> I'm not trying to shit on you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But do, do you know what I'm saying a little bit? Like, I feel like they might be trying to do a, you're trying to be a god, so you become a monster thing with Quinn. Be, by naming him Q Quinn, it seems like it's this ambiguous thing. Because the movie would seem to be telling us that the monster we're calling Q in our heads is not Quetzalcoatl. I, um, I completely forgot that you said that you had theories you were going to load at the end. But this is, uh, that's an interesting perspective. Um, that never crossed my mind at all. With uh, Quinn being named with a Q name, I think I thought that they were just making parallels. But you're right. I mean, he is a he is a monster, and he's more of a monster as the movie progresses. So I'm not I'm not gonna say you're wrong. I I don't think there is a right. I don't think this movie settles. But I do think yeah. it's interesting that if it dies, it's not a god, and it dies. Does that mean it's not Quetzalcoatl? Of course not, because there's the theory thrown out that maybe the world was covered in these these beasts and people thought of them as gods and they weren't. But then that's still what Quetzalcoatl would be. But I 
it just it just makes me think that the fact that Quinn is constantly trying to climb this this uh this weird societal structure to where he is a millionaire and to where he is famous and where he is powerful it's it's almost like he's trying to be a god and his pursuit of that turns him into a monster so i feel like that just seems like a lot to be coincidental so i feel like there might be a little bit of them hinting at that without necessarily settling on that one thing i was thinking earlier when you're talking about how because q wasn't q was killed so therefore can't be a god Yes, but right after it was killed, one of its eggs was hatched. So it could be a phoenix-like figure where, after it's killed, it's reborn into its egg. Huh? You ever thought about that, smart boy? I mean, you just said it was killed, so it would still, in the logic of the movie, be killed. Whether it's reborn or not, it's not a god. If I kill it, it's not that, a god. That's the line. It's not if I kill it and it's dead. But it's forever, not truly it's not killed. God. It's not truly killed if it's immediately reborn. And yet again, this is why my argument is that this movie ripped off Mothra. Maybe. Uh in his commentary he says that this was the uh greatest monster movie since King Kong. He says that about his own movie? <laughs> yeah. That's so funny, dude. I mean, he's not necessarily wrong, but it's really funny. That's hilarious. It's so funny, dude. What a <laughs> Did you have any other themes or messages you wanted to bring up? Political stuff? Mm. Anything? No. Alright, I'm so sorry. I got a couple. One is... There's just no goddamn solidarity in this movie. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Everybody's fucking ratting on each other, or at least the cops are saying they're ratting on each other, or Joan's saying that they're saying they're ratting on each other. It's just... It's fucking bummer. That's how a lot of... That's how a lot of the real world is. There's not a lot of solidarity in the real world. We gotta change that. Instead of solidarity never, solidarity forever. Damn, dude. We can make a song out of that. Let's work on it, dude. All right. I think I got some melodies in mind. <laughs> okay. Another one is uh, security culture. Uh, for folks who don't know, security culture is like the idea in activist circles around creating a culture where we are not doing things that put ourselves at risk or we're not uh, bragging about things or telling people who don't know, need to know things, things so that like we're all as safe as we can be. And in this movie, you have people committing crimes, and they are very bad at security culture. Like, Joan is actually great. She's, like, sitting with Quinn saying, like, I don't want to know the facts about the heist. And he's like, and he just keeps going. He doesn't listen to her boundary at all. He just keeps talking about it. Uh, One big part of security culture is just don't talk to cops. And Quinn is with Powell immediately confesses because he gets tricked by Powell and then Powell's like cool I'll get a piece of paper for your confession or for your statement or whatever and Quinn's like but I didn't say a thing so you better call my attorney and like smugly smiles and it's like dude you just said I love that grin on his face (laughs) I hate it so much I love it because Powell doesn't actually have anything concrete so he's just like ah I got fucking got you bastard but he does have enough that that Quinn admitted he was there admitted that he like that the guys told him he'd just be a driver or whatever it was and like hand it, wh- whatever he says was way too much um, <laughs> and then yeah 
uh, Quinn confesses to murdering two friends in jail to Joan. <laughs> in jail. When you're just just a pro tip. If you get arrested, assume every single space is being recorded. Don't confess to murder when you're in the state's building. It's just common good practice. Have you ever seen that video? Uh, the, like, shut the fuck up Friday video? The the two weed cops? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. security culture at its finest, yes. Yeah, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck 100%. up Friday, shut the fuck up Saturday, shut the fuck up Sunday, yes. Monday, shut the fuck up. <laughs> cops are allowed to lie to you, you're not allowed to lie to the cops. Yeah, uh, there are some countries where cops technically aren't allowed to lie to you, but uh, still shut the fuck up. Yes, totally, <laughs> yes. And here in America, they are not only allowed to lie to you, they are encouraged and they are trained on how to do it. Yep. Um, that is yeah. one of the biggest parts of their job is how to fucking manipulate you. Yes, totally. There's the famous uh, uh they'll, they'll they'll try to trick you just like they do in this one where like I don't know when Powell says, "Oh, they they told us this was all your idea." I don't know if he's telling the truth. Doesn't matter. Powell can say whatever he wants. Um mm-hmm. a very like the uh, a stereotypical case is like me and Charlie both get arrested at the same time after, you know, trying to do some action and we're put in separate rooms and we're both not talking because we're fucking good and uh one of the cops talks to me and says uh look look i don't i just want a little bit of cooperation like i'll 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 lessen the load if you just give me a little bit like just tell me something any just just so i know you're not like just like give me the cold shoulder like just just tell me what you had for breakfast this morning and I'm like, oh, I had a, I had McDonald's for breakfast this morning. Went to McDonald's, and then he leaves. And then he goes into your cell and he says, "Fucking rabbit told me everything. He told me who made the plan. He told me where you got the supplies. He told me so much. I know that you went to McDonald's for breakfast this morning. And then you get scared, thinking that he has all the information, and so you confess. Like they'll do anything they can to trick you into confessing. So just shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up Friday. Shut the fuck up Monday. Shut the fuck up." Yeah, all I know is that as soon as I as soon as I'm in there, I'll just say, "Yeah, rabbit. Uh, he had plans to kill the president. Let me yeah. out of here. He did kill the president. Rabbit killed the president. Get me out of here. I want to get out. Let me out. Good call. Good call. And then you know you just get witness protection for the rest of your life. Or else you know. I'm cool with it. My life sucks anyways. <laughs> so, yeah, I just thought the amount of the lack of uh good practices around uh operational security or security culture were were very frustrating Mm -hmm. the last little thing i want to bring up is i felt i felt a little of beast from Twenty Thousand fathoms energy with the idea that people were crazy in this you had like shepherd saying before you put the street jacket on me read my report Mm. you had the guy saying i'm gonna destroy the q research so you don't get institutionalized and then you had the person saying, hey, call it mass hysteria, but we got 43 witnesses. I love the idea that they have 43 witnesses and they're like, eh, maybe it's just everybody's crazy at once seeing <laughs> the same hallucination. But I also love the idea that uh, Shepard's like, read my report before you think I'm crazy. Like, what is so convincing in your report yeah. that they're going to be like, oh, no, this is real. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> totally. Especially other cops. They're like, I can't even pronounce yeah. Quetzalcoatl. Like, I feel like a, a cop being told that he has to read the word Quetzalcoatl would just kill the person. They're just like, fuck you. That's an insult. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just thought it was, um, there were a couple things in this movie that felt like callbacks to other movies, including like the one wanting to commodify the beast. And this felt like another one of like, like to the, to the genre of giant monster movies, you know? For sure. All right. Well, with all that out of the way, who are we giving the dumb cop award to? What's your opinion on that? They're all dumb. First of all, and they're all bastards. We all agree. The one who says he was coming right for me. He was coming right for me or whatever. (laughs) That's my dumb cop award. What about you? Yeah, I was, uh, for the most part, I was thinking pal. Um, and the one thing that kind of like hit back on that was that at the end, he successfully tracks down the, uh, high priest, but throughout the entire thing, he does come across as like a really bad cop. Like, yes, he seems to be very shitty at his job in every other aspect that we, we see. And he really like antagonizes Quinn when he shouldn't be. And like. When a shepherd is trying to manipulate Quinn, he just kind of, like, walks in and just fucking ruins that. And not only that, but he seems to know ahead of time that he is ruining that. Like, he, like, stops before walking in, and he, like, looks in, and then he just, like, walks in anyways. And he really does seem to be, like, a really shitty cop overall. (laughs) That does seem like a good pick. Yeah. He's a dumbass. Yeah. So that's my pick, pal. All right, cool. So who wins our, um, so, okay. So we got the, the guy who screams, uh, he was coming right for me and we got Powell as our dumb mm. cop awards. Who wins the bastard cop award? I don't, is that a different thing? I don't remember that. I sent you a text saying that we should have a bastard cop award and they all win. <laughs> I don't remember that. I'm sorry. It's okay. Uh, I think all the cops are bastards, and they yeah. all went, deserve their award. Good call. I'm. You know what? Net, you've convinced me. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Hey, I make convincing arguments every now and then. Okay, so it's time to rate this movie. Mm. Cool. So, yeah, I really enjoy this movie. I think it's fun. It's silly. It's got cool, gruesome deaths. It's got interesting monster stuff. It's got really cool themes about society and critiques of government. I very much enjoy this movie. So um, on a scale of A to Z, you know, Q being like a little over two thirds there, I think I'd give this, I think I'd give this like a W or an X. I'll say an X. I'm going to give this film an X. How about you? All right. As everyone knows, I'm a big fan of horror. Um, so this this movie uh, being um, somewhat centered in the horror genre is going to be more at my alley. And uh, yeah, I mean, I picked this movie for a reason. Because, um, well, I say that a lot of the movies I'll pick I won't have seen beforehand. But this movie I have seen beforehand. And uh it's a movie I was a fan of. I knew I was a fan of. I haven't seen it for years, so I wasn't sure it was going to hold up. But uh, it did hold up, and I think I even liked it more than I liked it the last time I watched it. I love this movie. It's just so much fun, and that's ultimately what I want. I want to have fun, because I'm... Kaji boys just want to have fun. 
Uh, so I'm going to, and everyone can feel free to sing along. I'm not going to judge you. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, and then I'm also going to add on, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, X. There we go. But you gave it an X? That's what I gave it. (laughs) Okay. Well... I wasn't paying attention, and I gave it in a better way. <laughs> no, you did. I mean, that's not disputed. I just we gave it the same rating. That's pretty great. Not quite a Z, but an X is pretty high up there. X is very high up there. Totally. Sweet. You got anything to say before I smash the business into their faces? Um. Yeah. I mean, just if you enjoy this movie, I'd. I mean, I really recommend um, Larry Cohen's other movies. I personally heavily associate this with uh, God Told Me To, because they're both just batshit insane movies filmed in New York City. God Told Me To in particular is one where, if you want to have no idea where the plot's going, that's just, it's a twist and turn every minute of the way. I'm also a huge fan of the stuff which also stars Michael Moriarty, Black Caesar, and sequel Help and Harlem are fun black exploitation movies, which are some of his most highly regarded movies. But yeah, just check out Larry Cohen's other stuff. He's uh, he was even when he was in, uh, he made lesser movies. He was still consistently a very interesting and unique director. Sweet. Um, my recommendation is since we had so many. Uh shitty criminals in this movie who were super bad at solidarity and had, were just doing it for all the wrong reasons. I wanted to suggest looking into the Bono gang. Bono gang, fucking solid bank robbers, illegalists, who uh, robbed banks as uh, like basically anarchist praxis. Um, there's a book called Enemies of Society, an anthology of individualist and egoist thought that has some information on the Bono gang. But uh, generally, just uh, check out the illegalists, and if you're if you're into the criminal aspect of this movie, but want to see people who aren't doing it out of like a uh, capitalistic selfishness, check them out. It's a fun, fun little, fun little romp through history. Just to be clear, you're not recommending a movie. You're recommending a uh, criminal movement. <laughs> I'm recommending a book about a criminal movement. Illegalism is a valid political stance from the 19th century, Charlie. Okay. Yes. Not all all of our listeners only watch movies. I endorse that. I don't give a fuck if you do or don't. I'll rob your house. Whoa. (laughs) anyway the only thing i have of value is movies and records so (laughs) anyway hell yeah okay so this has been no gods no monsters keeping it real um you can check us out on twitter at no gods pod you can email us no gods 
pod at gmail.com. And please, if you can, take a moment, rate, review us on any of the podcast apps that we may or may not be on because it helps us out. Um, and we love hearing from you. We love hearing our, your feedback. Uh, let us know besides keeping the episodes shorter, what we should be doing to make the, uh, listening experience more pleasant. And, uh, I'll keep recommending books about criminals and Charlie will keep recommending movies and we'll just keep fucking sauntering on like the cryptozoologists we are. Right, Charlie? Um, well, it's a little kickback. You said we appreciate their feedback and stuff. We haven't had any feedback yet, so I don't know whether or not that's we'll not true. It. We might. You told me about feedback this earlier. Okay, we haven't had any feedback from people that we haven't been in bands with or traveled the world with. Yeah, but also or... by the time this episode comes out, it'll be like two months from now. Yeah, but maybe we haven't had any more feedback. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and and maybe the feedback we have had, we don't appreciate. Okay. I never thought about that. Let me restate this. We hate you. You're terrible. <laughs> don't Thank tell you. us anything. We just want to put this out. Stop listening, you fucking assholes. You're okay. adding to our stress. <laughs> This is more like a podcast that I'm a part of. I can get with this. <laughs> oh, what a night. All right. Also, uh, <laughs> if you want to teach me how to aim, I'm on uh, on Overwatch. I'm either Hit Priest or The Hit Priest. I don't remember which. You'll figure it out because I know our fans are smart. So um, I really would like to learn how to aim on Overwatch. So I could be good. Hell yeah. We did it, Charlie. All right, we did it.